The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Norton, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be reviewing nights 9 through 14 of the G1 Climax 30, answering your questions and covering all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving us a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pros and Tees store, prosandtees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. Clicking on that donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for njpwworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? <sighs> Nights 9 through 14. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, we got a lot of G1 to cover. There's tons of questions. There's news. There's uh, recommended match of the week. There's so much we got. We got to jump into this week. You know, I talked to Chelsea, and this is what Chelsea told me. <laughs> I tried the old guy, but the hey, the young guys are much faster. They're stronger, and they're sixty minute men, Daddy. <laughs> oh man. And they can go all night long. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're a uh, hundred and eighty minute men. <laughs> wow, that's my line. That's my line. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, yeah, bro. Um, I'm not a I'm not a sixty minute man. These uh these G one nights are getting to me. <laughs> oh man. But, you know, before we jump into G1, one piece of business that we missed last week, we um, left off the docket to name our Wrestler of the Month and Match of the Month for September. So let's yeah, what go. idiots. <laughs> Dude, honestly, time is just a blur for me right now. I, like, September's gone. We're, we're halfway through October already. Uh, this year's almost over. I don't know where it's going. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, uh, without any further ado, let's get into it. So the wrestler of the month is undoubtedly 
the Stone Pitbull Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, when we try to look at this uh, category, obviously the G1's going on. We're like, man, there's going to be a lot of good candidates. But then we took a look at the resumes. And, I mean, you look at Ishii's uh, September, and it is unparalleled right now. I mean, him and Suzuki, him – I mean, who uh, – him and Osprey, him and Abushi, I believe, was on that same yep. month. Yep, mm-hmm. And there's someone else. There's a fourth match. Um. Uh... Trying to think right now. Like, ba- um, he basically. Oh, oh, um, uh, who's it? Uh, so night one was Suzuki. Night three, he faced Osprey. Night uh-huh. five, he faced Abushi. Night seven, he faced Shingo. There it is. Okay, and uh, yeah, then the Shingo main event, and so. There's definitely some people out there that had some incredible performances. It's been a fantastic tournament, but there's nobody in the month of September that has consistently put banger after banger after banger after banger together like that. Uh, Tomo, Tomohiro Ishii, uh, he might not be first <laughs> when it comes to the point standings, but he is number one when it comes to Wrestler of the Month for September. Yes, and then our September match of the month. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of options here. It can come down to, but ultimately it came down to one that was Will Ospreay versus Shingo Takagi, the rematch from the match of the year last year. Um, these guys has absolutely killed it. One of the top matches in G1 this year. A lot of people throwing uh, five out. A lot of people throwing four percent of five. Definitely a match of the year contender and overall we just felt like this was the the best matchup that happened in september yeah I, like you mentioned jeremy there's a lot of um different contenders i think the top two that were in consideration for us were abushi and ishii as well from the same night no <laughs> uh, mind you and then the other one was tanahashi and naito um but ultimately, like you mentioned, this we felt like this des- deserved the nomination and uh, the award of Match of the Month. And uh, one great thing here, a lot of anticipated matches in this tournament, a lot of them lived up to the hype, but not all of them did. You know, there were some matches that you kind of were hoping or expecting to be at a certain level, but this was one that, you know, completely, you know, met the hype and maybe for some people even exceeded it. So... Uh, congratulations for Osprey Shingo. It's definitely going to be a contender when it comes to award season. Definitely. So uh, before we jump in now into G1 action, we did have a question here from Josh number two, co-host of the 8-Bit Suplex podcast here on the network. If you guys haven't checked that out yet, 8-Bit Suplex, uh, Josh number two and Sandy doing a great job of that, covering Impact Wrestling as well as video games. So you can check that right here on the Social Suplex podcast network. Uh, but he asked us, how do you keep yourself from G1 fatigue? Like we mentioned, we have, we're covering nights 9 through 14. We're in the home stretch now. we got uh, five nights left. But how, how do you stop yourself from getting G1 fatigue? Well, um, this might be a blessing and a curse. I mean, I've got a very, very busy schedule. Uh, sometimes my schedule allows for me to do an almost immediate viewing, you know, same day, basically, uh, when, when the matches come through, but oftentimes because of my busy evening night schedule, 
I don't always have the ability to sit down and stomach a whole show. So sometimes I'll just watch half of the show and then come back and do the second half, maybe like later that same day or the next night even. Um, one other thing too that's been great, just uh, even though I think that the schedule's been very compact, on the weekends when I wake up early in the morning, it's kind of become a routine to watch maybe one or two shows, especially if I'm behind. And um, because the shows are pretty compact, they're only like two hours, it's not the worst viewing in the world. Uh, I mean, that, that's the only answer I can really give you. I mean, this this tournament has been a haul as far, you know, 19 shows in 30 days. So, yeah, I mean, I try to watch everything same day as possible. Um, obviously taking advantage of working from home due to the pandemic, I'm able to, you know, watch some on my lunch break and then I'll try maybe watch it immediately after the rest later that evening. And like you mentioned, like Saturdays are a great day um, to kind of, if you get behind to catch up and, uh, watch a full show and a lot of things that I've been doing a lot of times I'll, I'll do the the James Boyd method uh, bell rings bell rings bell rings bell rings I will skip through entrances especially since it's Japanese commentary I will skip through entrances I will sometimes fast forward through post match as, as long as nothing's happening and kind of you know get to get to the action yeah I try to kind of gauge to see if I think that there's an angle occurring or not but um, I, the other thing too is I've actually been able to to watch quite a bit of this in English because I've been a little bit on delay. So that's been interesting as well. Kind of just the difference between the two. There's actually one night. <laughs> it's a little off topic, but there's one night where there was a cricket in the mic of either Rocky or Kevin <laughs> Kelly. I think it was like night 10 and um, I was sitting there watching it and it got so bad. I turned it off and turned back on the Japanese <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's pretty funny, but um, yeah, I mean, the, the thing here with the G1, you just got to do it. The other thing, too, and here's a thought, you don't have to watch the whole G1. You could <gasps> cherry pick if you wanted to. <laughs> I mean, we don't really have that. The hard part for me is we really have to watch with the analytical eye and, and pay full attention. So these are not, for me, these are not like background doing the dishes, you know, eating, you know, it's not like that. I'm on my phone sort of thing. Like I'm really watching them. And after like a long day of work or and everything else you got going on, you're like, that's, what's been hard for me. But, uh, I think a lot of other people can kind of, you know, turn their mind off during some of these like Ujiro matches or what, you know, what have you. <laughs> right. Obviously, you know, we are recovering new Japan. We're doing this weekly podcast and this is, this is episode 150, by the way. Oh jeez! Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously covering New Japan. Also, we, we have where like you mentioned, we're kind of locked in. We're watching everything. But you know, you the fans. I mean, you could look on Grapple. You can look on Cage Match. You can see what are the recommended matches. You know what's getting the high ratings, and just watch those. You don't have to uh, watch the whole thing unless you're a completionist and want to watch it, or you do reviews or have, have your own podcast. Yeah, but great question. So. um Man, um, 156 episodes will be three years, right? It's about right. Sounds yeah. So our December 1st will be the three-year anniversary episode. I gotta tell you, I don't think we have anything special planned for it. I think like it's one of those things. Like the first year, great. Second year, oh man, looking back, third year, we're in it. We're just, we're doing this thing. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, so let's talk about the Young Lions and the unofficial C-Block. 
Yeah, so on this stretch, we had on night nine, Yomura de- defeating Gabriel Kidd, Suji defeating Yomura. Actually, it was, excuse me, it was a time limit draw on night 10 with Suji and Yomura. I was Yomura. about to say, whoa, sir, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, then night 11, we had Suji defeating Gabriel Kidd. Night 12, there's Gabriel Kidd defeating Yomura. Night 13, there's Yomura defeating Suji. And then on night 14, we had Gabriel Kidd defeating Yota Suji. I got to tell you, Jeremy, I'm getting real sick and tired of this 50-50 Gato-style booking in New Japan. I mean, no one's getting over. It's just trash, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Real tired of the 50-50 booking in New Japan. (laughs) Yeah, well, we've definitely been seeing a lot of of 50-50 here at these Young Lions. Pretty much all these guys having multiple wins over each other at this point. We've seen a couple draws now. Uh, I know Chris Sampson and a couple other guys have been actually keeping up with the point totals on the C block. I, I've failed to kind of keep up with that and have, you know. I know the point totals. You got it? Yeah. Um, right now, Gabriel Kidd is at nine points. Yuya Yumura is at nine points. And Yotasuji is at ten points. Mm. So um, Yotasuji after night 11 was kind of ahead of everybody with 10 points. And then between nights 12 and 14, Kid and Yumura had to pick up some pretty important, you know, victories to kind of even the playing field here. Nice. So, yeah, but I think, you know, all these young, young line matches have been solid. Um, there was a really great, I think it was, yeah, this night, night 14, the, or excuse me, the uh, night 13, the Yumura Suji match. I really enjoyed that match, and uh, Yumura really pulled out some cool stuff, some deep arm drags, working over the arms. Um, oh, there, there was an inc- yeah, there was an incredible arm drag. I mean, uh, not only was Yumura like so low, and and but like the velocity he got him over. I I, I saw that, and I was like, God, if I could only do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I gotta tell you, my my arm drags don't look like that. <laughs> in, in due time, man. In due time. <laughs> um. Yeah, you know what? Never mind. We won't go into it. But um, I personally, I liked Suji and Yumura from night 10, the 15-minute draw. Um, I, I enjoy everything that these guys are doing. And this has definitely been a, a incredible learning experience and opportunity for all three guys involved. But you don't often see them get a super you know length of time to kind of show what they can do. Um, but this is the second draw that we've gotten in the tournament. Uh, we had one last week and then night 10. And I actually really preferred the Suji Mora draw night 10 over the one with Gabriel kid the previous week. I think that's the best C block match that I can remember. Although these, like you mentioned, these have all been great. And because it's the same three guys over and over again, they're, they're kind of all blending in for me to be honest. Yeah. Uh, we had a question here from Kevin from D.C. He says, who has been your favorite young lion so far? If your answer has been anything other than Gabriel Kidd, wrong, 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 you're wrong. Kevin, you be watching those uh, post-match promos? <laughs> 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 Trust me, I be watching them. and um, I, I like it. Dude, I like all three of these guys in the ring a lot. I like Gabriel Kidd, but um, yeah. I don't know, man. Um They've been telling some pretty cool stories. Gabriel Kidd's, you know, talking a lot about his British heritage, you know, style of wrestling and, you know, kind of like Billy Robinson's version of wrestling versus like, say, Anoki's, you know, strong style. That's been cool. Uh, I, I did see Yuya Yumura talk about how 
he was going to try something new, and then he kind of alluded to it again and never exactly said what it even was. So I'm not really sure what's going on with that dude. But um, for me, my favorite guy is Suji. Um, and it's just because I like him the best. I actually think, truthfully, I think Gabriel Kidd and Yumora are probably technically better than him. But I just like Yumora. Or I'm sorry, Suji. I just like him. He's yeah. big. He hits people. <laughs> look at him. <laughs> look, look at him. <laughs> um, I would say... In this tournament uh, specifically, I would say I would agree with Kevin. Gabriel Kidd has been my favorite in this tournament, and that's mainly because I've just been kind of low on him since he came in to New Japan. But also, you know, from the very beginning, he's learned a lot since then. I think he has improved greatly since his very first time we saw him, and I just think he's really stepped his game up. And so I'm really high on him right now, loving the the uh, double-arm suplex he's been doing. Can you mention he's kind of bringing back the British kind of roots there? Um, but I think overall, though, if I'm talking for the whole year, I, I'm with you. I, I would go with Suji. Uh, I think he's the guy that we were also kind of low on last year and has improved a lot. And um, just some stuff he's doing in there and, you know, the, the, the kind of the running senton thing he's doing, a lot of the chops and just kind of his facial expressions. Uh, I think he's, you know, been doing really well. I got to tell you, um, and I guess this is more of a discussion for award season, but if it's for the whole year, like who is my young line of the f- full year, it is not Suji. Even though, again, Suji's my personal favorite guy. And I think that that's kind of the question he asked, who's, who's been your favorite. But uh, for the whole – for this year, like when we talk about the Josh Smith Award, the Young, <laughs> the young Boy Award, um, no, it's, for me, my, I will not be casting my vote for Suji personally. Mm. Well, maybe get a, a second and third out of you? Yeah, definitely. But uh, I think Yumura is the, the man. Yeah, Yumora is awesome. Yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, voting season. And I know we have some questions about voting a little bit later on in the show. But, yeah, so and then that's right around the corner. But um, before we go, so, I mean, we've got um, five more nights, four that are designated for the C block. Um, we're going to – I mean, we will be, you know, kind of giving a preview here in just a little bit. So we're not really prepared for that. But – uh It'll be interesting to kind of see how this whole little unofficial C block round robin works out for these guys. So, uh, again, keep in mind, Suji has 10, Yumura has 9, Gabe Kidd has 9. We're almost all evened up. So once we get to that preview, we can kind of discuss, you know, how we see this thing coming, you know, shaking out, basically. Yeah. So now let's move on to the big boy blocks, the A and B block here. And so same format we've been doing the last couple of weeks. We'll uh, start with the rankings and go from top to the very bottom. So we'll start with A block this week. We have a uh, four-way tie here for first place. We have four guys that have 10 points with five wins and two losses. And so we're going to start off talking uh, about the, the money clipper, Kazuchika Okada. That makes him sound like he's uh, some sort of like suburban mom who uh, <laughs> clips coupons. <laughs> the coupon clipper, Kazuchika Okada. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. at uh, night nine, Okada defeated Minoru Suzuki, 14 minutes, 20 seconds. Night 11, he defeated Jeff Cobb at 11 minutes and 3 seconds. And then on night 13, he defeated the dragon, Shingo Takagi, 27 minutes and 45 seconds. Yes, so my brief um, – and, and guys, keep in mind, we because there are so many nights here, we 
in in the uh, spirit of brevity, we want, we're not going to go super in depth with every single match. But my bullet point thoughts are: I really didn't like the Minoru Suzuki match. I thought it was a worse version of the match that they always pretty much have. Um, probably my least favorite Okada match of the tournament, aside from like the Ujiro. Um, but with the Cobb match at 11 minutes, I thought it was one of the best Cobb matches of the tournament. And it was the first sort of like real spark of seeing, you know, G1 Okada. Uh, and then night 13, it was like almost full G1 Okada. So very reminiscent of his storyline two years ago when he was broken. Uh, it also kind of reminds me of when Tanahashi won the tournament. Kind of low-key, most of the tournament didn't have too many bangers and then turned it up right at the very, very end there and kind of snuck in with the points, and that's sort of what's happened with Okada. And I think for a lot of people, the Okada-Shingo match is going to be like a match of the tournament contender, match of the year contender. I'm not quite there. Uh, While I enjoyed the match, and I don't think it was bad by any means, I think a lot of the hype bestowed upon it was way too rich for my take. I'm like four, four and a quarter on this one. Um, I, again, very good. I'm not complaining about that, but I, I'm seeing people throw five on this thing, and I don't think it was anywhere. I don't even think it was the best, you know, match of the month, much less tournament or year. <laughs> Interesting there. So uh, before I get to the main event, that match up there. So uh, I agree with you on the Suzuki match. This was one of the weaker Okada Suzuki matches. Um, typically, you expect a little bit higher end from those guys, but it was kind of in the middle of the card, only you know 14 minutes. Uh, it was fine for what it was. I mean, I enjoyed it, but you know it, it didn't hit that Okada Suzuki level. Uh, Cobb and Okada, I agree with you. I, I think that this is one of uh, Cobb's better performances in the tournament, one of the better Okada matches of the tournament. Um, and, yeah, I thought both guys looked really good here. And, again, that was an 11-minute match. Um one of the you know beginning parts of the car wasn't you know semi main or main event or anything, and so for eleven minutes I thought it was really good. Um, and then for this night thirteen main event, I'm uh, a little bit of different uh, opinion on you here. I'm you know one of the people I, I kind of I, maybe I bought into the hype, but I watched this thing and I thought it was an absolutely incredible main event. I think this is the closest we've gotten to main event Okada since. Wrestle Kingdom this year, uh, Shingo just looked absolutely incredible. Uh, he was a, a, a juggernaut in this match. I thought Shingo um, is a, the, one of the best guys who's actually sold this money clip and, um, and it's made it look devastating and look good. And I thought that told a great story throughout the match. The they teased the whole um, the flash pin move that Okada's been doing in this tournament, the same one he used to pin uh, Kenny and Jericho. That was a great near fall in this match. And, uh, and Minoru Suzuki and Jeff Cobb. Yeah. Um, Shingo doing the Rainmaker, several uh, Rainmaker teases and wrist clutches from Okada. Uh, I just thought this was an excellent main event. It is one of my top matches of the tournament. Uh, I think it's one of the top matches of the month. I won 4.75 on it. I had, had the five-star fear. I couldn't give it the... You know, the full, <laughs> the full five there, hashtag coward, uh, but I absolutely love this thing. You know, I don't disagree with almost any statement you made until the end when you said match of the tournament. Disagree there, but er- everything else with your analysis, I agree with. 4.25. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, you, you brought up a great point. Um, Okada, uh, along with the money clip, has now 
kind of uh, resorted to doing sort of like the victory roll pin pinfall. Um, he hit that on Minoru Suzuki night nine, and then Jeff Cobb night eleven. Uh, Jeff Cobb was complaining about being a, an Olympian getting uh, pinned by <laughs> Okada, uh, so that kind of played into the storyline here with uh, Shingo as well. Um, Okada slowly but surely kind of restoring himself to like prior, you know, like his prior form as being like the rainmaker once again. So started, he's got, he's surging with a lot of momentum. I did think Shingo might be one of the guys to upset him. That hasn't happened yet. And he's sitting at the block at the top of the block tied with several other competitors at 10 points. Um, we got some questions here. Um, a lot of people have a lot of thoughts on, you know, where Okada's in the tournament right now. Yeah, so first up from Reddit user PSAN91, it's not really a question, but more of observations from being live at night 13 in Osaka. First of all, like last time, the crowd was super hot for everything. In the main event, it felt like 90% of the crowd were behind Chingo and desperate for him to get the win. There was definitely a sort of deflation when Okada won, especially because he used the money clip to do so. Speaking of the money clip, I noticed the reaction from the crowd when he went for the money clip. It was kind of like a, ah, this again. So the person I was with with at the show were both thinking if the crowds were allowed to boo, do you think they would have would boo when Okada locks the money clip? For what we could tell, being in the crowd is that the move that didn't seem to be over for so over at all with the crowd. You know, I hadn't really given that a thought. Um, we might not still be seeing this move hypothetically if that's the case, but because we're not in that sort of environment, we really don't know. I. I saw a lot of people praise Shingo's selling of the money clip, and uh, rightfully so. But I got to tell you, there was a few nights prior to this where Okada was building up his application of the move by, like, sort of, like, stomping and moving his arms back and, like, up and down, back and forth, like, and that sort of got the crowd into it, and he kind of failed to do that here on some of these nights, especially with the Shingo I think if he's going to do this move, he needs some sort of buildup or some sort of indication that he's doing it. But again, the way he's applying it, he, he only did that the one night, what I mentioned. And then he went back to what he's sort of doing here where it's like he just puts it on you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's an interesting thought. I mean, I can't say for sure people would boo it, but I, I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibilities. Right, I mean, either a boo or just, I mean, just complete silence, and I definitely did feel that kind of, you kind of felt the energy drop for the first few money clips throughout the match, but I feel like towards the end, especially when Shingo's just kind of doing that, those crazy selling, he has a bug eye, he's like pulling on Okada's hair and like punching and trying to do what he can to get out of it, I feel like the crowd was uh, slowly kind of getting back into it towards the end there with the money clip. Speaking of the selling, uh, Rambo and Slam Pig asked us, he said, did Shingo almost make you like the money clip with his amazing bug-eyed selling. That man can literally do anything. Well, I can tell you one thing he can't do is uh, win this block. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, uh, there's no doubt he did a fantastic job selling the move, but I still – that's never really been the problem. Uh, The selling of the move has never really been an issue. I I haven't been sitting here complaining about how people – haven't been working to get the move over. I think the the guys who are in the move are working extremely hard to get the move over. The problem is the application, like I've said many times. 
and I think that there have been some guys where they don't sell it great and they just kind of sit there. But most, I think most guys, like you mentioned, have been you know working, especially in this tournament, have been working hard to um, sell it and try and get it over. Um, and yeah, I love Shingo selling here, and it did make the move look really devastating. But like you mentioned, it's just how he's getting into the move. It's what needs the improvement. Kevin from DC asked. He said, "I hope the money clip is growing on you." If not, it's fine. Somebody mentioned on Reddit that Okada deliberately does a lot of stuff that doesn't click with the viewing audience immediately, but it grows on them over time. Do you all agree with this statement? First with the money clip and then with the rest of his arsenal. I still think the money clip sucks, so don't worry about offending poor precious Kevin here. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I don't feel like he I've, I guess if you want to think back to maybe the the balloon the broken Okada I think that was like deliberately doing something that didn't click to tell a story and to build up to something which kind of like we mentioned kind of almost the same story here but not as good um I can't really think of anything else that he doesn't have been deliberately in the past to the audience really didn't get with I mean they didn't get with him at, at initially when he first came in <laughs> I mean yeah I think that there definitely is like a, a history of certain moves like, I don't know, Redding, Heavy Rain, when he first started doing those, those didn't, like they weren't super over, but eventually they kind of did get over. But it was like, I don't know. I don't really think any of that is comparable to this because of the emphasis on the move as being like, I mean, let's just face it. It's a finish. What other finish has Okada had? since 2013 just the rainmaker so i don't really think honestly this is my opinion i don't think any sort of analysis that someone wanted to uh, even though that's cool you know you want to do the work awesome i don't think there is an apt comparison from his history there's nothing the, the the closest thing would be the other cobra the traditional cobra clutch that he started to use two years ago and then dropped because it didn't. I don't know why he dropped it, but that definitely also did not get over. So right, remember we thought he was going to be building to this whole big spot that was going to happen at the dome, and then he never even did the, the move in the match. Yeah. So um, yeah, I don't. I don't know that I agree with that analysis. I mean, I ha- I haven't read it. I I've tried to stay off of the Reddit's just because I don't want to get spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I. I I haven't read that analysis. Maybe there's some some truth to it, but uh, I think you have to go, you know, apples to apples, you know. And there's been no other attempt on his behalf to start using anything as a finish like this, really. So, yeah. Uh, next question here from Highest Fly Flow says that you guys catch the commentators almost say spinning rainmaker, then stopping and calling the move a spinning lariat in the Shingo Okada match. As I, as far as I remember, they've always called it a spinning rainmaker, so are they just trying to protect the story? Yeah, I'd pretty much agree with that. I think that's probably the case. Yeah, they probably like realized like they got so like hyped up and then kind of like last minute like oh <laughs> not supposed to say that rain not supposed to say rainmaker so you know and I've never really liked the idea that it was a spinning rainmaker necessarily because I'm like well. The Rainmaker is a rip, is a ripcord short arm clothesline. You know, it's more like a roaring lariat. You know, when he hits the quote unquote spinning Rainmaker. To me, I've never really considered it a, a Rainmaker. Really, right? It's like 
It's like a, like a roaring lariat, kind of a setup lariat to get to the actual Rainmaker. But they call it that, so, you know, I guess that counts, but yeah. All right, so that's all the questions here on Okada. So we can move on to the next guy here, also with 10 points. The Golden Star, Kota Ibushi. Night 9 defeated Will Ospreay, 15 minutes, 54 seconds. Night 11, he lost to Shingo Takagi, 21 minutes, 56 seconds. And then on night 13, he defeated Minoru Suzuki, 16 minutes and 58 seconds. Yeah, I think Kota Ibushi um, is literally just killing it right now. Um, I think we kind of sold him a little bit short uh, as far as kind of where we thought he'd be at this point in time. And he's right there at the top of the block with 10 points, which, you know, it makes all the sense in the world, given the fact that he was a finalist for the past two years. He was last year's G1 winner. So, I mean, I kind of thought he'd sort of be diminished a a bit this year, just given the field of competitors and, you know, his designation as sort of like a tag team guy, at least for this year. But that hasn't really been the case. Um, Big win over Will Ospreay. Uh, That was a match that people really loved. Uh, I thought it was good. I went like four stars on it. Um, the Shingo Abushi match, I thought was just awesome. Um, I I don't know, probably like four and a quarter, four and a half, something like that. And then um, the Abushi Suzuki match is one of my favorite matches of the entire tournament. I think it's an easy um, fight of the year candidate for sure uh, for our strong style award. Super shoot style, you know, um, <laughs> influenced easy four and a half. That was my match of the night for night 13. And uh, I think Bushi is making, you know, quite a case for himself as maybe being like wrestler of the month in uh, October. Definitely. Yeah. Bushi, like you mentioned, it's just been awesome. You know, the match with Osprey, I also went four stars. Uh, I'm a little bit disappointed, you know, did not quite meet the level of their previous encounters. Uh, maybe it's because they only had 15 minutes. But for me, that match was kind of, kind of have a, had a weird pacing. And then I feel like the finish kind of came out of nowhere um, with that um, the jumping um, V-trigger from the springboard and then into the Kamigoye. Uh, but, yeah. But, but, still, but still a good matchup. Uh, Shingo Ibushi really enjoyed that as well. Um, you know, kind of first-time matchup here is uh, – yeah, love that match. Also went four and a half on that. Um, and then the night 13 matchup with Suzuki was awesome. Also went four and a half on that. Just, uh, you know, that that shoot style. You know, we had a blood sport this weekend, but this was probably, you know, the best, you know, shoot style matchup of this past week uh, with, you know, Suzuki, you know, leaning into his MMA background, Abushi leading into his kickboxing background, and just the style of matchup they had here. Very violent, a lot of strikes. Um, wow, suit black little submissions, great stuff. Yeah, I I don't know. I could call it full shoot, but it's definitely shoot adjacent or influenced for sure. But uh, yeah, just loved it. We did have a question from Dom Homie One Hundred One. He said, "Who would win in a shoot between Suzuki and Ibushi?" <laughs> hmm. I, I I would say probably probably Suzuki, right? Ah, uh, man. That I mean. That's a really tough question. I mean, I think right now, if I was just being completely honest, I'm pretty sure I, it's not like a close opening, like closed thing. But I think Kota Bushi could probably beat up Minoru Suzuki in 2020. Uh, 
Now, if Suzuki got him to the ground, because he is such an accomplished catch wrestler, mm-hmm. um, Abushi def- I mean, is not like a any kind of slouch when it comes to ground fighting or anything like that. But I, I mean, Suzuki is one of the best to ever do it. So I think Suzuki could probably beat him down there. But you know, Kotobushi is a former, like actual professional kickboxer he like fought with k2 and um you know that the k2 was sort of like the lighter weight sort of like minor league to k1 back in the day i'm pretty sure he had a few fights there um and i mean he can really really strike and the thing is suzuki always was not that great at striking it was sort of one thing that held him back in his career quite a bit and at his age I think Kotobushi could probably beat him up, though. But uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, guess uh, I mean, it, it, I guess it just comes out of the, the styles. Like, if Kanabushi knock out Suzuki before Suzuki grabs him, right? And I mean, our, if if this is happening in a ring, that's one thing. If it's happening in a hallway, I don't. You know, totally like in a real life scenario, I don't know. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't want to fight either of those guys. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, Kota Bushi. We're gonna talk about uh, scenarios here in a little bit. But ten points, five and two, and you know, like he's got victory in sight. Yeah, three Pete could could happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, next guy to discuss is King Switch Jay White with ten points. He is five and two on night nine. He was upset by Jeff Cobb and defeated on night eleven. He defeated Taichi, and then on night 13, uh, he defeated Yujiro Takahashi in a very controversial and much-talked-about match. Yeah, overall, um, you know, Jay's been having some decent performance here in this whole tournament, and this, this stretch, I mean, there was nothing really blow away here. Uh, I thought the Cobb match was uh, pretty good. I was pretty surprised that Cobb ended up getting the uh, the upset win there. Um the Tai Chi match was pretty interesting. Also, you have uh, two heels here, uh, but Tai Chi almost kind of became the baby face uh, in this matchup here. Um, and it, they had some. Uh, tai Chi's always a baby face. <laughs> that uh, man's over. And I thought it was very hilarious at the beginning of the match where um, Jay was like this, like letting Tai Chi sing to him, and he was clapping along to that. Uh, but, you know, they, they had their whole little heel versus heel back and forth here. Jay was able to get the better of Tai Chi there. Um, and then the main event, or not the main event, but the uh, 9-13 matchup with Yujiro kind of went exactly how I pictured it, even though I, I thought that Yujiro was going to be able to pull up an upset. And that and that's kind of mm. kind of the, the key story here, this Yujiro match and what's been going on with um, Jay and Evil in the comments and the Bull Club Civil War. I know we have a couple questions on that, but essentially, you know, Jay came out in, you know, cutoff shirt, track pants, the bandana, Thought it was going to be an easy night. Thought Yujiro was going to lay down, do the do that's the. How, that's how I dress every night. <laughs> <laughs> thought Yujiro was going to do the J O B. Yujiro uh, laid down, and Jay kept kind of kept playing, getting up before uh, Marty Osama could finish the count. And then finally, when he was ready, Yujiro kept kicking out a two. Uh, Jay was getting pissed off, and you know Yujiro was like, "Just joking, man, just joking." And then that led into you know the series of near falls there. Um, and Jay finally putting him away with the Blade Runner and just being, you know, very upset with Gato. Like, Gato, did you know about this? Did you, did you know about this? And that led him to the backstage promo where, you know, Gato had to calm him down and promise him that, you know, he, he, this was not a plan by evil. He had no idea what was going on. He'll talk to Yudro and kind of smooth things out. 
Uh, Jay White versus Ujuro reminded me of my childhood when I used to get spanked. Um, <laughs> what's funny? <laughs> I, I just didn't expect that. <laughs> you know, I used to get in trouble, right? And uh, my parents disciplined me, bring me in the room, right? And they're going to give me a spanking. And, like, so my parents are basically Jay White and I'm Ujuro. And, like, there's a job to do. And they got me bent over. And they're like, one, two. And then I, I put my hands back. And like, no, <laughs> like, oh. I know it's inevitable. I know I'm gonna get this spanking, but like, it's a reflex. I keep covering, and like that—that's what that. See, that's the thing. Everyone thinks this is a uh, some sort of you know conspiracy. I think Ujiro is just a wrestler, and every it's it's hard for you to keep your shoulders down for a three count. I mean, one two. No, no, your shoulders got to go up. Just like you know, I didn't want to get that spanking, so I, I covered up my my rear end. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I can relate to you, Joe, man. I mean, uh, it's been a while since I've, you know, amateur wrestled, but to this day, I still sleep on my stomach. I, I hate being on my, on my back, you know. It, it's, it feels awkward when, you're, when your shoulders are just laying down on something, man. You just go, got to get it up. It reminds me of the uh, that, that Liger prank video when he was going around <laughs> in, in the rooms trying to pin wrestlers when they were sleeping, and, you know. Tanahashi, you know, kick out real quick. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, um, Jay White, sort of had an easy stretch here uh, for these three days. Um, when you kind of look, I mean, we talked about it last week. He faced a lot of his uh, toughest opponents the first few you know weeks of the tournament. So, I mean, he got Jeff Cobb. That should have been a winnable match. But for whatever reason, Jeff Cobb just kind of turned it on, was able to beat him. Uh, we'll talk about Cobb, but he's gotten a few pretty significant wins. And we, we talked about how that would be his role here, was that he would be able to... Uh, defeat some major players and sort of be like the, the guy that, you know, works out the point totals here. And that's exactly what he did in the Jay white match, which I thought the match was pretty good too. I liked it better than the match they had from last year's G1. Same. Um, the match with, with Tai Chi shenanigans laden, but ultimately he was able to out cheat fellow cheater in Tai Chi. But, uh, you know, the one that everyone's talking about is the Juro match and it's, it's, quite clear that there's something going on in the bullet club. There's problems. I mean, um, it's kind of funny. <laughs> People are really stoked about this bullet club civil war. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I'm not, I'm totally against it, but, uh, you know, it's like this really cool story. Right. But let's look at the matches that happen in the G one that have to do with this Kenta versus evil and Jay white versus Ujiro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's gonna be gonna be great. Can't wait. Uh, um, Silver into Steel asked us. He said, "I have one question uh, with this whole J Evil Bull Club dissension thing. Um, I've only been watching New Japan a couple years, so I don't really know how far the storylines go. Do they do a lot of like swerving, or do they keep it relatively simple? Basically, as someone who knows New Japan well." Is there a chance it's not even evil pushing for leader and it's something more intricate or is the writing on the wall now and the obvious Gato betrayal is going to happen? Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of people actually kind of throw out the theory that potentially Osprey and Jay are going to switch. Into, this is a whole plan to, to get Osprey um, in the leader of the Bull Club. I, I really don't see that happening with how they've laid things out. Um, I think New Japan is... 
their, their, their storytelling is very simple. They lay a lot of breadcrumbs, and they usually do the most logical thing, at least since I've been watching full-time. And so, to me, it does seem like it's a clear, evil's been the man since Jay's been stuck in the U.S., and I feel like he's kind of won over the Bullet Club that's been in Japan. And now, you know, Jay and Kenta, and eventually when G.O.D. and the rest of those guys come back in, they're not going to be on the same playing, you know, on the same page with Evil and his clique. I think there's definitely some truth to that. Um, I don't want to turn it into a completely racial thing, but you know, most of the talent that was in the country during the uh, you know COVID were pretty much domestic Japanese talent, and that's sort of who you know were. The Bullet Club. I mean, when you look at Evil when he made his entrance uh, against Naito, the Bullet Club that came out with him was completely Japanese Bullet Club, <laughs> right. which we've really never seen before. And then um, I, I just kind of feel like this situation is sort of similar to like – how do I describe it? Jay White was like the cool kid. And then he was, like, away for the summer or something like that. And when he came back, like, all his friends made friends with, like, this new kid, Evil, who, like, he doesn't <laughs> really know. And they got, like, all these inside jokes and shit. And he's not, like, really part of it. And he's, like, really, like, paranoid. And he's just, like, waiting for, like, G.O.D. to get back. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, have his back and stuff. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. There, There's definitely a potential for a quote-unquote swerve. But, I mean, it's not going to be some outlandish, nonsensical thing. It's going to be something that is explainable and makes sense. I do think that there's going to be some sort of break. Um, I, I, I think that this is a bloated group with a lot of people that don't even really need to be there or be promoted at this point. And, you know, we still don't even know what's going to happen when all the Tongans arrive, which they're all missing, uh, MIA. So at this point, I, I think either, I think that the bottom line is like either evil or Jay are probably gonna have to leave. Yeah. Most likely. Then we also had a question here from Lisa Axa on Reddit says, uh, she has one question. It's split into three parts. Sorry, haha. If the rumored Jay versus Evil match happens, do you think that it would lead to one of them leaving Bullet Club? If so, which one? What faction would they go to? I'm guessing that nobody is like gonna leave and then join up. Like I can't see like Jay White getting kicked out and then oh here comes Okada and and homies to like welcome him back in the cast. Nothing like that is gonna happen. I do think that this is the genesis of some other faction or stable. I don't know who's going to lead it or what it will be necessarily, but that's my thinking. Um, If the rumors are to be believed, they had originally wanted Evil to break off and do his own thing, but situations, COVID happened, and they sort of needed him in, in Bullet Club. If that is to be believed, I do think there's a good chance that it would make most sense for evil to leave and kind of do his own thing. You know, that, I don't know. That just makes sense to me. And, and, you know, the, the winner could leave. It, it's not necessarily that like evil loses, then gets booted. He could maybe win 
through nefarious means, leave, start his own shit, and then we've got, you know, a faction warfare between his group and whatever, you know, whatever's left of the Bullet Club or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I think it would make the most sense for Evil to kind of split off and kind of create his own group and kind of take all, like, the guys that have been with him, you know, Taiji, Gato, Jado, Yujiro, uh, you know, Dick Togo, all those guys and kind of form his own thing, you know, Evil, you know, Evil Club, Darkness Kingdom, whatever you want to call it, whatever, and kind of do his own thing while Jay kind of remains control of the Bullet Club and has all the Oceanic guys, um, has G.O.D., um, Hikaleo, and Chase and all those guys. Yeah, and uh, also... Um to Hanare. <laughs> um, one other thing, just throwing it out there, maybe the bull club dies. Mm. I mean, yes, it is a like a juggernaut in terms of merch and everything like that, but I mean, there's no denying it hasn't been the same since the elite left it, and that's not even like a you know a pro elite statement. It's just it is the truth. And it's been around for a long time. Maybe it's time for them to put that brand to rest and start some new shit. Nah, man. Once you're Bullet Club, you're Bullet Club for, for, for life. All right. Tell that to Bone Soldier. <laughs> and Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett's still in. <laughs> um so uh, let's move on. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. So let's talk about Will Ospreay very briefly. He's also tied at 10 points, 5-2. and two. Um, Night 9, he was defeated by Kota Bushi. Night 11, he defeated Minoru Suzuki. And then on night 13, he defeated Taichi. Uh, all fantastic matches. Yep, yeah, and we kind of already talked about the Ibushi match Um Really like the Suzuki match. I uh, went four stars on that. That was pretty much like we kind of talked about the kind of a real man match for Osprey here, dealing with uh, Murder Grandpa Suzuki targeting the arm throughout that match, and Osprey just having to come back uh, with one arm there to defeat Suzuki. Um, really, really similar to the AJ Styles match that Suzuki and Styles had in the G1 a few years back. Yeah. Um, and then the Tai Chi match, uh, I always think Osprey and Tai Chi uh, have good matches together, you know, that that, that, that never kind of feud. Um, they got chemistry for some reason. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I thought this was another really good match. I think I was also four stars on this match as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I am too. I think uh, Will has been killing it. Um, my favorite match of those three was the Suzuki match. I really enjoyed the pain and punishment. Suzuki, I mean, Suzuki took like, 80% of that match, maybe more. Yeah. But uh, Will just persevered. And those guys, like, yeah, it was just awesome. Uh, the Tai Chi match was also very, very good. Um, they knocked it out of the park. Will, um, 10 points. You know, he's got Okada on the final night. He's still alive going into the end. I think a lot of people kind of discounted him. And were sort of thinking that he was someone who... I think they saw him being in the same position as he was last year, someone who has really great matches, but doesn't do so hot in the point standings. And we on this podcast from day one, basically said that he was going to be alive going into the final few days. And that's exactly where he's at. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And clearly there are, there are plans to, you know, really get him over. We see on Japanese commentary, our boy Milano 
has just been <laughs> losing his mind. You are a superstar. I love you. I need you. I want you. <laughs> you are the best wrestler in the world. So, you know, clearly they're they're trying to do their best to, you know, get Osprey over and really elevate him, uh, no pun intended, to a superstar level. Um Will's promos are god awful right now and this Billy Goat shit is so fucking bad. I think like we'd be you know, it's only fair. We have to talk about how great his matches are and they're fantastic, but these promos, he's never cut I do think something is going on character-wise for sure because he's never cut such arrogant, despicable and terrible snarky troll promos like this like they're bad this billy goat thing is a rib yeah do you think it's worse than uh sex pig yeah but sex pig wasn't like a part of like it wasn't like emphasized like this like this is he's really emphasizing this thing so i don't know i do think something's going on i can't pinpoint what it is exactly but yeah Nice. Well, uh, let's move on to the uh, next guy here, the Stone Pit. The MVP. <laughs> yes, the <laughs> September Wrestler of the Month, one third of the Never Six Man Champions, the Stone Pit Bull, Tomohiro Ishii, has six points, three wins, four losses on night nine. He defeated Taichi on night 11, defeated Yujiro Takahashi, and then on night 13, he lost to Jeff Cobb. And uh, we need to make a point. So those top four guys we talked about, Will Ospreay, Jay White, Kota Bushi, and Okada, with two days left in the tournament, they're all uh, still alive. The rest of the field are done. This uh, So from here on out, the rest of the guys we're going to talk about in A block are all mathematically eliminated. Even if some of them are maybe not quite technically eliminated. They're not winning. Like this is pretty much it. It's a wrap for them. So, um, Hey, Ishii versus Taichi. Taichi's best match of the tournament. Ishii against Ujiro. Ujiro's best match of the tournament. Jeff Cobb versus Tomohiro Ishii. Probably the best Jeff Cobb match I've seen in new Japan and Jeff Cobb's best match of the tournament. I think that's the thing about why, Ishii is right now my MVP, uh, and probably a lot of people's is because every single person that he has fought in this tournament, bar none. Um, oh, I you know I messed up. Okay, because that's not the majority of the people that he, <laughs> he has fought. They've had their best matches of the tournament with. Um, few exceptions. Um, I think Suzuki's best match in the tournament was against Ishii. I, I don't, I think Shingo did not. And I think Will Ospreay did not, but Abushi definitely did. And yeah, like all those, all those guys have Jay White and Ishii wrestled already. No, that they are the last night. Okay. So the last two nights for Ishii are, Okada and Jay White. Correct. Okay. Heavy, I mean, heavy, heavy hitter. So at this point for like what we're talking about with Ishii is like someone who's just had a phenomenal tournament. It's kind of crazy that he's still able to do this at this level year after year after year. But, um, you know, he's mathematically dumb, but he's a man of pride and he's got long history 
with the next two guys he's wrestling, Okada and Jay White. And, I mean, he could definitely play a serious spoiler to both of them, potentially. And uh, that's going to be interesting how that plays out. Yeah. But, yeah, Ishii, just incredible tournament. Incredible uh, three nights here, night 11, 13, uh, night 9, 11, and 13. Uh, love the Tai Chi match. Him and Tai Chi always have great matches. This, this could probably be one of the best matches they've had. I went four and a half on this thing. It was incredible. Uh, he just truly brings out that you know that vicious side of Tai Chi, that strong never style of Tai Chi. And these guys are throwing bombs and going to war. Um, the Yujiro match, like you mentioned, best Yujiro match of the tournament. And you know it was actually almost very similar to the recommended match of the week a couple weeks ago. Their, yeah. their King of Pro Wrestling match, um, kind of some similar stories of, you know, Yujiro kind of working over Ishii, Ishii having to come back from behind, Yujiro busting out, you know, the angle slam, Miami shine, and it was a really good match. Um, and then the match with Cobb, like you mentioned, possibly Cobb's best match in his whole New Japan run, uh, looked really good there, kind of that that more aggressiveness that we've been wanting to see. He's kind of a bruteness match, just tossing ECE with that um, T-bone um, exploder suplex and just really kind of overpowering Ishii and just look great in this match. And um, Ishii just wasn't able to overpower him. He just gnarly spinning uh, toward the island, like midair uh, toward the island thing on Ishii just crushed him, and it was an awesome finish. And, yeah, Ishii just had a great run these last three nights. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it is uh, again going back to his last two nights here. Yes, he's mathematically eliminated, but um, the two matches he's ever had with Okada, he's one and one with Okada. Stablemates, they hardly ever face one another, and um, we're not going to get some situation where Ishii like lays down or even teases that. We're like both matches that they've had in the past have been match of the year candidate type level matches. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens between Ishii and Okada. And then he defeated uh, Jay White in the G1, in the B block last year. Um, So that's going to also be very interesting, especially just the importance of a night like that where there's so many guys that are close in point totals. You know, Ishii could be the ultimate spoiler for a guy like Jay White. Um, at the same time, both of those matches are totally winnable for both Okada and Jay White. So big asterisks and question marks surrounding those two matches. Yeah. I also think there's a good chance Ishii could give both of them their best matches of the tournament and lock up this G1 MVP thing <laughs> once and for all. <laughs> yeah, you can check out two um, our friends over at Grapple. They did a great little infographic on the ratings that they've been receiving um, throughout the G1 and you know, Ishii right now, based on that last graphic they put out, was on top. And, yeah, just it's having an incredible tournament like he always does. No surprise. Are we friends with those guys at Grapple? I don't know anybody at Grapple. I mean, I, I've had some DM conversations with some of those guys. Oh, what? Why did you <laughs> tell me that? What's going on? <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, let's move on to our next guy here, the Dragon, Shingo Takagi, also here with six points, uh, three wins, four losses. Pretty much, you know, out of contention, like we mentioned. Uh, night nine, uh, he defeated Yujiro Takahashi. Night 11, he defeated Kota Ibushi. And then on night 13, he lost to Kazuchika Okada. Yeah, I think um, 
people were really hoping that he would turn some some of the, uh, you know some of his fortunes around uh, this coming this past week. Uh, wasn't so he even though he won two of those matches he dropped the big one to Okada um, I I thought the Ujiro match was actually one of the better Ujiro matches at the tournament I thought it was pretty good um, believe it or not I mean not like blow away but I mean it was relatively speaking decent um, again Shingo and Kotobushi that's a match that I really 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 enjoyed and would like to see more of and then we, we kind of talked at nauseum about Okada and Shingo. The, the only thing there is I really thought Shingo had a great chance at being a major spoiler or a guy that like kind of evens up the points for Okada. And that wasn't the case. So I was disappointed to see Shingo lose there. However, big showcase match for Shingo. I think a lot of people know Shingo, but you know, this is a big notor- you know, match that ha- that's receiving a lot of notoriety, and so I think that's a good thing for him overall. Yeah, and I really got into this match. I mean, I was off the couch. Like when he was in that money, I was like, "Don't tap, don't tap, Shingo, you got this." <laughs> uh, but yeah, just great matchup there. Like you mentioned, the Abushi match. I loved all his just his the way he was just countering the Kamagoye over and over again, kind of using. Uh, Partially that that Ishii strategy of you know you know blocking with a headbutt. Um, there's several ways he was kind of getting out of that Kamagoye, and I just thought him and Ibushi just matched up really well together. And I also really enjoyed this Yujiro match as well. I think it's you know probably the second best Yujiro match of the tournament after Ishii. Um, and no surprise to say that a guy like Shingo can get a good match out of Yujiro. So once again, Shingo very similar to Ishii and having a really great stretch here. And I think depending on how his last two nights go, Shingo could arguably be in contention for MVP of the tournament as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, totally agree with that. Uh, Viking Pain asked us, he said, is Shingo Takagi the best acquisition New Japan has made in years? He's a top five wrestler in the world and a match of the year candidate every time he steps in the ring. I know guys like Moxley and Jericho are big names. But they're not signed with the company. Ishimori, ELP, Jeff Cobb, Dragon Lee are all great additions, but they don't come close to Shingo, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with Viking Paint here, especially from a, from an in-ring perspective. Uh, Shingo Takagi has been um, a great acquisition, like you mentioned, just great uh, worker. He ha- he has great charisma. He has that kind of superstar appeal. Um, we're obviously we're very high on him on this show. We both think he could be a domain event or that he could be an IWGP heavyweight champion. I think there's a lot of upside with Shingo. Um, obviously, like guys like Moxley and Jericho are going to be better to move New Japan World subscription numbers, but they might not, you know, match up bell to bell with a guy like Shingo. Um, I think the only true candidate to maybe that you could have an argument against that statement would be Chris Jericho. Um, now Chris Jericho is not currently signed in any capacity with new Japan. He is signed exclusively to AW. He does have a clause where he can work Japan. Um, I don't know if we even would have seen him work Japan again this year, COVID or no COVID, but you know, we haven't seen him since January, but uh, you know, if you're talking in the last five years, like Jericho produced a lot of big money making 
um, angles and, I mean, especially the program with Kenny Omega in particular, that is sort of hard to, like, argue against. Um, But if you are just talking about, like, day in and day out, a guy who's on the roster, who's on the road, up and down, making the towns with these guys, you know, making people look great, having fantastic matches, uh, yeah, it's definitely... It's got to be Shingo. I don't think any anyone else that they've brought into the company over the past few years from the outside really matches that at all. Um, yeah. Nice. They're, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, prior to that, maybe the answer might have been AJ. Mm, yeah. All I or you know, they, they, there was a time they brought in Ibushi and uh, Kenny. Those are also you know, but yeah, if you're talking the last few years, I mean. You're talking either Shingo or Jericho, probably. Yeah, we also have a question here from Kevin from DC. So this is a weird time to ask since Uncle Dave's paper comes out on Friday. But do you think Shingo impressed in defeat? Do you think he's in line for a heavyweight challenge, an icy challenge? Give me all the Shingo. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, the big question there is we don't know what's happening with these two titles. Uh, my gut is let's say that there's a scenario where the IC title and the heavyweight title get defended separately going into this year's wrestle kingdom something of that you know nature um no i don't think he's gonna get a title shot for either of those titles what i think is most likely you're seeing him and suzuki on the final day they got old beef i think that's where we're going yeah i think never title is definitely a rematch in his future I think down the line, if the titles get separated, I think he would be a great guy to put the IC title on if they're going to do that. Uh, I definitely think he can be a guy that could challenge for the heavyweight title. And um, I think kind of, you know, Shingo's future kind of plays into this next question here from EMJ does PR. Before we move on, I just want to say I think he could potentially hold any of those belts. I'm not saying he will, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not opposed to him down the line challenging for any of those things. I thought we were talking like more in the immediate future. Yeah, I wasn't sure if he was talking immediate or just like how how far down the line he was talking talking about. But immediate future, sure. definitely never. But down the line, he could definitely challenge for either of those or potentially hold either of those titles. Um, but EMJ does PR asks, is New Japan setting Shingo up to be the next Ishii? Durable, exciting worker, but ultimately a high-end gatekeeper. I know we all put his ceiling higher than that, but I think with all the competition for a top four slot, can you really see the company elevating him further than where he's at today? I don't see him as a Ishii, to be honest with you, and I don't think the company. Uh, if you, if you watch this this uh, product long enough, you'll realize it took Ishii so long. <laughs> <laughs> before he got even kind of considered a somewhat serious mid Carter. I mean, he was treated like a jobber for so, so, so long. They have never treated Shingo Takagi like that. Let's keep in mind that this was a guy who was on like what an almost year long undefeated streak before he finally ate a fall to Will Ospreay. And then after that, like he's been super protected. Um, sure. Like, yeah, did he only get six points in the tournament so far? Correct. He'll probably end with at least, I'm guessing, maybe eight. Maybe he wins his next two. Maybe he gets ten just to kind of like help him save face, which is totally possible. Um, 
So, no, I don't see him as being a new Ishii. Maybe down the line at some point. You know who I think he is more has more in common with than anybody else in the company in terms of status? Who? Suzuki. Mm. Outsider guy who can who has this aura about him, super violent. You know, you, you can pretty much slot him anywhere in the company if you choose to, but you don't have to because it's not really necessary. He can work every style, super versatile guy, he could draw money, he could tell stories. He's a utility all around guy and pe- and he's super popular. You know, people are afraid of him. Like I think he has a lot more in common with Suzuki than he does Ishii. Yeah, that's a great analogy. And, you know, like you mentioned, Suzuki's a guy. He's challenged for the heavyweight title. He's been the IC champ, never champ. He's been in tag league. He, he's kind of been all over the place. You know, he's been in future Yano. Um, so, yeah, I think that Suzuki analogy is a great comparison. And that definitely that's the kind of role that Chingo can kind of play moving forward. Yeah, especially if Suzuki, you know, as he ages, if they sort of cycle him out, I think that that's – maybe where what his and you know the reason i say that is because he brought up some great points will shingo be a top five top six guy i don't know if he will or not but he could always be that suzuki guy who's right in the mix with all those people and maybe he's not quite there but i mean he could pretty much beat any of them if he wanted to you know right so uh speaking of suzuki six points he's three and four night nine he lost to okada Night 11, he lost to Will Ospreay. And then night 13, he lost to Kota Ibushi. So three big losses back-to-back. He, you know, this could have been a big week for him had he continued his winning streak, but three losses back-to-back, pretty devastating. Yeah, and we've pretty much uh, touched on all three of these matches already. Um, out of this run here, the, the Kota Ibushi match, definitely the best matchup out of this uh, three-night run here. Um, I think the the key to look out here for is you know who's going to be challenging for that never title after um, the G one's over. We have got you know the Power Struggle Tour coming up after this. Um, so obviously three guys here that could all potentially challenge Osprey, a former never open weight champion. We could see some kind of matchup there. Um, I mean, I doubt that Okada I, would challenge. Um, I think the problem is they're all higher up in the hierarchy currently. Than Minoru Suzuki, so I really don't see any of them challenging. I think that, like we discussed, he's got a date with Shingo at the end of this tour, and I think that that's probably going to be the because prior to this he only had one other loss, and I didn't think any of his losses seemed. I mean, you know, usually you get someone holding the belt up, doing the belt, you know, <laughs> pantomime. Yeah. Um, yeah. One other thing. Suzuki hasn't even been carrying the Never title out to the ring at all during the entire tournament. I don't know if anyone's noticed that. Yeah, I noticed that because the, the very first night he didn't, and then like that second week he did, and then this week, yeah, he's totally not brought it with him. So maybe be on the lookout. If he fights Shingo and brings that title out with him, that might be a key indicator. But my one thought here, just Suzuki, ageless wonder, uh, best g1 he's had in years um you know a lot of these g1s he kind of takes it easy doesn't really go all out has a banger here or there but that's about it but he's really been revitalized during this tournament and uh just put on classic matches with so many guys it's kind of crazy yeah and just continuing to um, build the resume for potential wrestler of the year candidacy 
he is undoubtedly he's not even like a dark horse he's like got to be one of those guys that like you're crazy if you're talking about new japan wrestler of the year you're not talking about minoru suzuki so yeah um after that we have his underling taichi um six points three wins four losses night nine defeated by ishii night 11 defeated by jay white and then Night 13, defeated by Will Ospreay. And we did touch on all these matches. Any quick thoughts about Tai Chi? Overall, thought, I think Tai Chi is looking really great in this tournament. He's had a lot of great matches, um, especially this week up here. Week here. The Ishii match we mentioned it was great. The Ospreay match was great. And the Jay White match was pretty good, not on the same level as the Ospreay or Ishii match. And I just think we're continuing to see Tai Chi grow. You know, one, he's one of these guys that in the past people – kind of scoffed at mentioning his name in the G1. Um, and now it's – I have a hard time picturing what a G1 would be without him. I mean, he's just been having a, a lot of great matches. He's been a key player um, in this A block, and it's been looking really good. Yeah, I think um, – I already had this thought prior to the G1, but I think it's been solidified to the point where people can kind of get on board with what I'm saying here. There are a few different names being thrown around for most improved wrestler of the year. Um, I think you got to throw Tai Chi's hat in that ring for 2020, and I think he might even be my favorite to win that uh, designation when you look at his tournament and the the number of great matches he's had. He's gone from a guy to where people scoff and sort of say they're going to skip his matches to like where – He's one of the he he's not like at all out of place in this A block, which just sounds ludicrous. Um, yeah, Tai Chi, credible tournament. <laughs> yeah, and, and I get I get energized with the, with the uh, dangerous, you know that that dangerous <laughs> backdrop driver, the axe boomba. I, I get fired up, man, for these Tai Chi matches. The Kawada kicks. Yes. The mid kicks. Yeah, man. I mean, he's got when he wants to be good. He's good, and this year he's wanted to be good, and um, yeah. Which is funny uh, because remember we were worried because before he was like, I don't want to be in the G1. We thought he was going to fuck off, and he hasn't. I mean, I'm not sitting here saying he's had the best tournament, but um, it's been a really great tournament for Tai Chi. Uh, he's really raised his stock a lot. Yeah. After that, we have Jeff Cobb, six points, three wins, four losses, defeated by Jay White, night nine, defeated by Okada, or I'm sorry, he defeated Jay White on night nine. He was defeated by Okada on night eleven, and then defeated on uh, by Ishii on night thirteen. Um, any thoughts on Jeff Cobb? Again, we kind of touched on all these matches. I think this um, stretch here, night eleven, thirteen, and night nine, um, have been pretty good nights for Jeff Cobb. Obviously, getting the best match on uh, night thirteen there with the big uh, win over Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, I think that was, the, you know, his best matchup, like we mentioned, in all of New Japan, his New Japan run. And I think if you can channel what he did in that matchup and kind of, you know, put that into his other matches, uh, he can get something really going. Yeah, he defeated, I mean, you look at his three wins in the tournament, he defeated uh, Jay White, Shingo Takagi, and Tomohiro Ishii. It's a pretty respectable list of guys to have defeated, um, especially considering in this block, the majority of people are sitting at six points along with him. So that's pretty good. Um, but more so than that, this week has been the best week Jeff Cobb has had in this company to date. Um, 
I thought the Jay White match was pretty good, uh, very good. I thought the Kazushiko Kata match was very good. And then I thought the Ishii match was great and probably the best match he's had in the company, if not at least the best match he's had since the Will Ospreay match in Madison Square Garden. One thing I wanted to ask you, given the recent success he's had, what do you think is the main factor for this? Do you think it's A, the level of partners that he's had to to wrestle with? I mean, he's wrestled Jay White, Okada, Ishii, some of the best guys in the company. B, do you think that it is him being on this tour and becoming more familiar and comfortable with the style? Or C, do you think it's that the slotting of where his matches were each night, meaning they gave him more opportunity to showcase himself as opposed to prior in the tournament? Um, I, I know it could be a combination of those things, but what do you, out of those three, what do you think is the biggest determinant for why Jeff Cobb has suddenly looked so much better as opposed to the rest of the G1? Yeah, I think overall it's definitely a combination of those factors, but I think probably the key factor might just be getting accustomed to the style. Um, you know, and plus, you know, Cobb's a guy who's pretty much been off during the pandemic, um, you know, because he was doing a Ring of Honor stuff. You know, Ring of Honor just came back with their pure tournament, and then he recently started doing NW Strong. Which again wasn't really, you know, most of his matches weren't really like the New Japan style or something that would prepare him really for a G1. Um, so I definitely think, you know, being here in the G1 and, you know, being here where, you know, second to last week here with this, this stretch in, I think it really, he really got accustomed to, you know, the style and then, you know, having the guys he worked with really helped too. So. That's what I think. Yeah, I, I I was just curious on your take. I think it uh, again. I think it is a combination of those things, but I don't know exactly what. But um, whatever it is you're doing, Jeff, keep doing it because we like to see you uh, succeeding. And this has been the best week he's had in this company so far, and I hope it continues. Um, finally, we have Yujiro Takahashi sitting at zero points, um, zero wins, seven losses. He lost to Shingo Ishii and then Jay White this week. Um, we even kind of talked about, you know, <laughs> his performance in each of these matches. I guess the big question and the only real consideration and thought here is actually, I've got two questions. Number one, will you pick up any points in this block? Two, what would this block have looked like had they sw- switched Yujiro out for Yoshihashi? Dude, if they had a Yoshihashi in this <laughs> block, oh my gosh, we would have we would have had even more bangers in this A block. It would have been out of control. Yoshihashi is having great matches with the guys in the B block. Like he would have been probably would have had his best G one ever being in this A block. Um, but to your first question, is is Yujiro going to pick up any points? I I don't think so. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the, the last uh, few nights here in a second. But as I look, you know, night 15, he's got the Golden Star, Kota Ibushi. Night 17, A Block final night, he's got Jeff Cobb. Um, out of those two guys, I think potentially he could beat Cobb, maybe. But I don't think so. I, I think he's going 0-9. 
he might go 0-9. The Jeff Cobb match is somewhat inconsequential. But that Abushi match is very interesting because Abushi's at the top of the block. Yujiro's the guy with zero points. He might play spoiler there, big time spoiler, and that'd be a huge upset if that happens. Yeah, that that could happen. I just feel like uh, Bushi's probably going to lose a Tai Chi on that last night, and so that that could be. And Tai Chi's going to be the, the main reason that knocks Bushi out of the finals. That's possible too. Well, let's uh, we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. Let's uh, go get to the B block here. Let's go through it quickly. Um, we got Tetsuya Naito sitting at the top of the block with ten points, five wins, two losses. Uh, he defeated Yoshihashi at night ten, night twelve. He was de- uh, he defeated Juice Robinson, and then on night fourteen, he suffered his second loss of the tournament against Evil. Yeah, so this stretch here, uh, night ten with Yoshihashi, really enjoyed that match again. Yoshihashi just having really good to great matches with people in this B block, and uh, that was another good one here. I think I was about like three point seven five on this match, um, and, and nice to look good in this match too. Um, the juice match again with another uh, really solid match there on night twelve. Also won three point seven five on that. Um, and then the, the night fourteen uh, main event, it, it was an evil Naito match. And wah, 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 wah. right, I mean, <laughs> we, we've seen what what they're all about. All the shenanigans with, with Togo constantly interfering, and I'm just so sick of the Togo interference. And I get it; he's a heel. Togo says heater, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) But there's just so much better ways how they could execute Togo's interference, especially with him just literally running in the ring right in front of the referee. I mean, that's one thing we haven't really touched on this this matchup, but the the matches with seconds and interference, I feel has made the officials look, their credibility has kind of been thrown out the window. Um yeah, I just hate it all. They overdid the interference stuff there, completely opposite to what they've been doing with um, Jay and Gato over in the A block. And, yeah, Evil ends up getting the win here. Uh, yeah, not a fan of the Evil um, match whatsoever. Um, I'll save that rant for another time. But uh, Evil picked up 10 points. Picked up the big win here, tied himself with Naito. I did think that that was probably what was going to happen. Uh, it looks like there's a good possibility, depending on how this tournament shakes out. Evil may be one of the uh, mandatory title challengers to Naito coming out of the tournament, provided Evil doesn't win. So something to keep your eyes you know, on. Um, I liked the Yoshihashi and the Juice Robinson matches, both alike. I think I like the Yoshihashi match a little bit better. But uh, funny thing here is, like, I'm I'm seeing people like, oh yeah, I saw people blowing up this Juice Robinson match like it was a match of the year contender, and I didn't think it was anywhere near that. I thought it was very good, but um, not. It, it's funny right now, and we talked, we discussed this the other day, you and I. Um, Naito is having a somewhat of a resurgence here. He's keep in mind he's being given a lot of main event slots, and when he's not getting a main event slot, he's still wrestling in excess of 24, 25 minutes <laughs> on the um, semi main event, anyways. So he's getting an opportunity to have really great matches, but 
along with that, he's having really good matches. And so there are people that love Naito. They love LIJ and they kind of stand for him. And so there's people that are like overhyping how good he's doing. And I don't want to diminish Naito's run here, but it's not anywhere near the level of top guy runs that we've seen with like, say, Kenny Omega or Kazushika Okada or Hiroshi Tanahashi the past few years, you know? Yeah. I would, yeah, I'll say overall, he's been having a very good tournament. I wouldn't say he's having a great tournament, you know, a, a, a superstar making performance tournament. And honestly, his body's just not at that level anymore. And right. I do think, you know, based off what we've seen this past year, I think he's been looking really good. And, you know, with his best match being that Tanahashi match on night one. Besides that, everything has kind of been in that three and a half to 3.75, maybe four star range. I'd agree with that, and I think that's a very fair, unbiased, and truthful account of what Naito's doing in this tournament. Um, We are at the point where earlier in the year we said Naito is not even a candidate for Wrestler of the Year. We are getting to a point, given his run, where he's starting to make himself a possible outside contender (laughs) (laughs) to be nominated. But people are acting like he's like – I'm seeing people online being like, yo, he's already like the wrestler of the year. It's like a Hall of Fame sort of run. And I'm like dumbfounded. I cannot believe it. Um, so I think that there needs to be some balance here. But Naito, you know, two of these three matches were very good. Um, Naito's got a couple, you know, couple more matches in front of him. And it looks like – you know, he's either going to follow the trend of previous G1 champions like Okada and Omega, where he does incredible going into the final, you know, into the final few nights and then starts dropping some losses. He has Yano and then Saber in front of him, which um, is very, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We did have- no, not, not Saber. I'm sorry. Kenta. Yeah. Apologize. And we had a question here from Dom Homie 101. He says, Is it me or does it feel like Naito is winning the whole tournament with the idea of Naito defending both the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and IC Championship in two separate matches at Wrestle Kingdom 15? For example, Sonata or Evil could face Naito for the IC title. Another example could be that they could save the KOPW situation by using it as a way to find a number one contender to fight Naito at Wrestle Kingdom for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Um, I disagree with that KOPW statement. I, they've already firmly established it as being a joke, so you can't really salvage it at this point and try to turn it around and turn it into a, a method, a method of, um, (laughs) determining a title challenger, especially since there's only a few months left and the current holder is Yano. So that's not really realistic. I mean, who knows? Maybe they do. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Yano beats Naito here <laughs> coming up, and that will set something up. But uh, I, I don't think that the idea that you you mentioned about having two separate title defenses is crazy. It, it falls right in line with what uh, Naito has wanted to do with these you know unified titles all along. But um, I do think there's a chance he's, he still wins this tournament. Um when you look at the two guys that are in front of him, Yano and Kenta, I mean, both guys are already eliminated. Um, 
for the most part. I I think there is a chance Naito goes to the final and maybe even wins this tournament, especially just considering it's the 30th G1. Right, and I mean, it's 2020. A lot of unexpected things have happened this year. Why not, you know, create your own unexpected moment by having the double champion win the G1 for the first time, you know? Yeah, but those are my thoughts on Naito. I don't have much more to add. I think he's having a really good tournament, and uh, I think these next two nights are going to be interesting. Yeah. So next up, we'll talk about the man that he uh, faced on night 14 there, the king of darkness, evil, with that win over Naito, getting to 10 points to tie up with Naito. Five wins and two losses on night 10. Evil defeated Juice Robinson on night 12. He defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi. Then, like we mentioned, on night 14, he defeated Tetsuya Naito. Uh, you know, these Evil matches, they, they've pretty much just been okay. Um, just filled with ton of uh, Dick Togo interference that have been... You know, taking me out of the matches, the, the over the over amount of cheating and interference that's that's happening in the match. I would say probably the best match out of this run would probably be the Tanahashi match, just because Tanahashi is great and such a great babyface, uh, and really having to fight from underneath, um, fighting between Evil and Dick Togo. I also loved in the Tanahashi match, uh, we got some involvement from Yota Suji. Um, and it's been known, we've talked about it on this show before, just how much uh, Yota Suji loves Tanahashi. And when uh, he's out there for Tanahashi's match, he's always, you know, pounding the mat and cheering for Tanahashi and getting behind Tanahashi. And we've kind of seen that here in this tournament as well during Tanahashi's matches. And this main event matchup here, too, um, you know, holding off Dick Togo and really trying to get behind Tanahashi. I thought, I thought that was kind of kind of cool there to get some uh, Suji, uh, Suji involvement here. Yeah, I uh, agree with most of your statements there. I mean, here's the thing I will say about Evil. Um, they've clearly, they clearly intended for him to be pushed like a, a major star this year. Um, or at least, I'm not saying from the offset, but I'm saying from the time that they, you know, gave him the big push and put the title on him. And just like we discussed, we said he was going to get at least 10 points, probably more. And that proved to be true. He's sitting at 10 points here with two more nights left to go, tied up with Tetsuya Naito. Not only that, he's got the tiebreaker over Naito. So in the event that they tie, he will be the block champion. So uh, there's going to have to be some finagling that occurs in order for him to lose the block. But right now he's sitting at a very advantageous position. Um, As far as performance goes, hey – He's got better gear than he used to have. He's got a better look than he used to have. He's got better ring music than he used to have. He's got a heater now. He's former champion. There's a lot that's going that he's got going for him. The one thing that has not changed whatsoever, evil is having an evil ass G1. <laughs> Every year, evil comes into the G1. He has one or two pretty good matches but matches that would not be listed on anyone's list of the quote unquote 15 or 20 best matches of the G1. And then at the end of it, people say he did so good. And then I'm always sitting here like win. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I mean, I think this year is, is worse than any year we've seen thus far. It might be worse, but it, to me it's, it's only worse because he's got an abundance of cheating and interference as far as like, 
I, I'm just guessing if if I were to compare like his average, you know, rating, it's probably going to be about the same as it normally is. He had a really good match with Zach. He had a really good match with Yoshihashi, and that's about it for me. I didn't I didn't like any of these three matches that he had. Um, I would agree with you that the Tanahashi match had some interesting elements. The thing with the Tanahashi match was um, he did this thing recently where the night before he fought Kenta and he did a high-fly flow and then in, uh, a standing high-fly flow and then before he locked it or hit another high-fly flow, he locked in the cloverleaf and he got Kenta to tap. And I thought that was a mistake, but he ended up winning and he tried that again here. And it was like if he would have gone for another high-fly flow, he actually would have beat Evil, but he opted to go for the Cloverleaf, and that's kind of what cost him. Um, but yeah, everything else that you you mentioned about the match, I agree with. Um, I think Evil's mid as fuck. Like, that's, <laughs> that's the deal. Um, I know he's got Sonata on the final night. I'm not sure who who he's got. Does what Goto next? I'm guessing. So let's see. So on night sixteen, yes, he has Goto in the semi main, and then for that the- actually might be. So those two matches have a lot of potential to be some of his best matches of the tournament, especially considering the high stakes because Sonata and Goto are both still very much alive. So and then all you know that's going to be very interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be yeah. Evil's one of the guys to watch in these last couple of nights here, and those last two matches, Sonata and Goto. So, oh yeah, that's gonna make or break if he's gonna get to the finals. Um, so the next guy on the list we need to talk about Zach Saber Jr. He's sitting at eight points, four wins, three losses. He uh, was defeated by Sonata on night ten. He beat Toriano on uh, night six, and then he defeated Yoshihashi on night 14. Um, and at this point, guys with eight points for the most part are still technically alive in the tournament. So, yes, he's underneath Evil and Naito, but there are scenarios where um, – and he's actually tied with Goto and Sonata right now – where these three guys could potentially – finagle their way into the uh you know g1 final yeah and zach i think you know has been having a a good tournament here um you know he hasn't really had a ton of high level matches it really depends on how you feel about the naito match that was one um that was kind of heralded as one of the best matches for for zach Um, but overall he's been a guy that's kind of been in that three and a half 3.75 range and just been having a very good tournament uh, which I think is fine for him at this point, you know, tag team champion, you know, he's not really in a high singles role, and he's been having some, you know, good entertaining matches. Uh, the Sonata match, you know, they uh, traditionally have uh, pretty great matches together. This was not the best of their series, but I still enjoyed it. Um, some really great um, technical wrestling here, some great back and forth between these guys, um, and Sonata catching uh, Sabre there. Uh, the Yano match, um, Hilarious, probably one of the the best Yano matches of the tournament. Uh, we got to return a little bit of Shooter Yano towards the end of the match, and I love the spot. You know, Yano tapes uh, the chair to Saber's hand, and uh, Saber has to find a way to get back in the ring. He finally gets back in at 19, and then Yano's complaining to the ref that he he brought a chair into the ring. So uh, just some really funny stuff there. Um, and yeah, then the Yoshi- Yoshiashi match was. Uh, 
another pretty decent matchup there with uh, Zach and Yoshihashi, and pretty much just Zach kind of eating Yoshihashi up there um, and getting the win. I totally agree. Um, for some people that are probably listening that love the Sonata match, I would say go back and watch their match at Wrestle Kingdom. And then go back and watch the last two years that they wrestled each other in the G1. Uh, especially the one from two years ago. And tell me that this match is anywhere near those two matches. wasn't a bad match by any means. But uh, it was not the, the, the classic level or style of wrestling that those two guys have had in the past. And I'm someone who comes on this show all the time. And I always talk about how... Sonata Zack Saber is one of my favorite matchups, especially you know, ever since I saw them a couple years ago, I'm just always like, man, you know, they do that really awesome, you know, like world uh, world of sports style, you know, wrestling, and they they did they had a really good opening and a really good closing in this match, but the stuff in the middle was kind of meandering; it wasn't quite to my taste. Um, the Toriano match hilarious like you mentioned that match actually went 12 minutes 20 seconds the longest toriano match in the tournament um and I, believe it or not i thought zach saber and yoshihashi was pretty good for what it was as well um the the submission that zach put yoshihashi in at the end of the match where he's cranking on his arms that was just killer uh, yeah. <laughs> i don't think zach is having anywhere near a level of tournament he's had the past two years at nowhere near but this is the first time um in a while that he's like a pretty good like coming close to winning this thing he always ends with a decent amount of points but he oftentimes gets eliminated before the end so then he starts you know kind of making up for the losses towards the end and kind of he looks better on paper at the end than he actually was in terms of kayfabe but here he actually has a chance to win if the stars aligned for him. The one thing I will say, I think based on storylines, and I could be wrong here, but based just on the booking, the only three realistic winners of the block are going to be Evil, Sonata, and Naito. These other two guys, Zack and Goto, I think they're both red herrings right now. I don't think realistically either of them are going to win the block, but, uh, that's my two cents. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. Uh, based off the, the last two nights, and we'll look at those in a second. Yeah, it definitely seems like Evil, Naito, and Tanada, you know, the, the LIJ boys are the ones that are primed to um, get into this B-block final and um, go into the G1 final. And we did have a question here from our friend Sir Sam over at LOP. He says, is there anyone in wrestling more versatile than ZSJ? Effortless te- technical masterclass one night comedy match if the tournament in the tournament the next. Uh yeah, Kota Ibushi. <laughs> <laughs> the most tech the most versatile wrestler, maybe of all times. <laughs> um I also saw someone on our uh Twitter commented to this and they mentioned Daniel Bryan, which I would also agree with. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking yeah, just, if you're talking, you know, all of wrestling, then yeah, definitely Daniel Bryan's a guy you can throw out there. But within New Japan, I mean, definitely Kota Ibushi. And we actually talked about this last week about you know how Ibushi can wrestle kind of the the high spot, high flying. He can wrestle the striking match. He can wrestle a submission style match. He can you know be technical. He can do a comedy match with Yano. Like yeah, you know, Zach's great, 
and Zach is definitely a versatile performer. He could do a lot of great things. But uh, I, don't, I, I wouldn't classify him as being a super versatile worker, in my, my opinion, um, due to the nature of the style of work that he does. You know, like, I think he's a little bit hampered down by the fact that he just does this one ultra technical style and doesn't really do a lot of other things. I mean, I know he had like a death match with uh, Chucky e. T and PWG, but like, can you imagine him doing like a death match or <laughs> a hardcore style match? No, not at all. Like, yeah, he could do comedy, but like. I don't know. I couldn't see him like falling off a ladder. I couldn't see him. Uh... <laughs> There's just certain things I couldn't see Zach doing that. I know other guys like, for instance, like Minoru Suzuki, extremely versatile. Suzuki can be put in any scenario and be, and have classics. It doesn't matter what the scenario is. So um, I'd have to disagree. I, I, I don't think Zach is, I, I think he is versatile, but I don't even think he's one of the most versatile guys out there. I think there's quite a few people that just excel in any circumstance, and I don't think he's capable of doing that. Yeah, absolutely agree with you there. So uh, next guy that we mentioned that is also tied with Saber is one-third of the Never Six-Man champs, Hiroki Goto. On night 10, Goto defeated Toriyano. On night 12, defeated Yoshihashi. And then on night 14, defeated the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. We said at the beginning of the tournament, Goto is one of those guys that just for whatever reason always ends up with a lot of points. And then I mistakenly said that I thought this would be the year where that wouldn't be the case. I was wrong because once again, this man has figured out a way to rack up eight points, four wins, uh, <laughs> and you know maybe could win the block if if everything goes right for him. Uh, he beat Yano in the shortest match in G one history, eighteen seconds, <laughs> which was pretty funny. Yeah, that uh, that was yeah that was great. Yeah, Yano trying to give him the shirt and Goto wasn't having anything, none of that and just rolled with this weird kind of like stump puller looking cradle thing. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. And then night 12 and night 14, I thought he had two of the better matches of each night. Uh, the match with Yoshihashi, very, very hard hitting. Uh, I, I thought a lot of that was due to Yoshihashi. They gave him a lot, but Goto was great in his role there. And then Goto and Tanahashi go all the way back to their dojo days together. So, I mean, they always have good matches with one another. Very surprising to see him pick up the win over Tanahashi, pretty much ending his uh, chances at winning the G1. So he pre- he effectively pretty much eliminated Tanahashi. But uh, yeah, man, Goto's here. Um, and Goto is exactly what we said he was before this tournament started. The utility guy, he can go in there and have good matches with anybody. And, you know, that. And he's proving that once again. <laughs> yeah, and really interesting. It seems like the, the whole shoulder injury might, might have been a work or I don't know what that was because it honestly really didn't affect him here. I mean, we thought with the night 10 matchup, all right, he's clearly hurt. They're doing this 18-second match. They're try- he got squashed by Saber before that, but then he went out here, had that hard-hitting match with Yoshihashi, and it was almost like Yoshihashi kind of woke him up and was like, come on, what's going on here? And really brought some fire to him there, and then the Tanahashi match was really good as well. So, Well, you know, the shoulder injury is interesting because he does have evil. Evil is a cheater, 
and he'll do what it takes to win. And maybe that is going to be something that gets exploited during that match. So, in fact, it definitely will. I'd say look out for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's all Don I got Lomi, on Goto. Huh? No, so that's all I got on Goto. Well, Dom Homie 101 uh, asked us, he said, did anyone see Goto ending Tanahashi's chances of winning the G1? Because that was kind of a shocker to me. Yeah, I, I was surprised also just so the way that he had kind of been trending in the tournament. I was for, for sure thought that Hiroshi Tanahashi was going to win and be a potential person to be alive to win the block and then potentially get uh, spoiled by Sabre at the end to kind of continue that dangerous Tekker storyline. Well, you know, you mentioned how you kind of thought that uh, there's a good chance that um, what's his Taichi ends up beating Ibushi to upset him and knock him out in the A block. What are the chances that Zach's alive on the final night gets knocked out by Tanahashi? And this will be the impetus for, you know, the title run between all those guys. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense there because then, you know, Ibushi's kind of been the one that's kind of been, you know, trying to get Tanahashi to be on the winning end and kind of motivate him. And then, you know, Ibushi loses and Tanahashi kind of gets the win there. And then that could lead to some dissension there. And then they'll probably set up maybe another tag title match that could lead into Ibushi and Tanahashi kind of finally clashing and building to the dome. Whoa, whoa, you're jumping ahead of yourself there, sir. Don't forget <laughs> World Tag League. Okay. I mean, well, yeah, we'll get to World Tag League <laughs> a little bit later, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you who uh, definitely saw this coming: Gato. <laughs> are you Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. So uh, after that, we got uh, the last alive man in this block, which is Sonata, who, as we you know correctly predicted last week, won all of his matches this week. He defeated Zack Saber Jr., Kenta. And Juice Robinson. And I got to tell you, I have not been impressed with maybe uh, even really a single Sonata match this entire tournament. Um, like, hardly at all. I guess his two best matches probably been against ZSJ and Naito. And I thought they both kind of under-delivered for me. I I think there's a good chance, a really, really good chance that Sonata wins the block and maybe even the tournament still. I know he was odds-on favorite, but I don't even know if I really am that jazzed about it. Yeah, neither am I. I, mean, I agree with you. I, I I don't think Sonata's been having a great tournament. I, I would say out of this three-night run here, the, the Sabre match was the best, but everything else, honestly, it's been very like low three-stars three and a quarter. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the, the empty crowd, the, you know, the, the clap crowd that's affecting him or what what's going on with him. I, mean, I know in the past we've talked about him kind of wrestling up to the level of the guy that he's in there with. Uh, so, I mean, like the Kenta and Juice match, I don't know what it, what deal was there, but I thought those were just fine. Nothing really special about those. Um, yeah, not really excited about the fact of him going to the finals if he's not going to, you know, put out a you know, great performance. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I know he's very over. He's very popular. It just – and I know he's capable of performing, you know, on any given night. But then I'm just not high on him. I don't know, man. I'm just not. Like, yeah. 
uh, even Glamrock's not. I don't know. Also, my girlfriend keeps pointing out how his beard is starting to get uh, a little out of control, and she's worried that that handsome Sonata is going to go away, and you know, bearded Sonata is going to make his return. <laughs> well, bearded Sonata was the one that was getting all these towel shots last year against Okada, so maybe that's what he needs to do. May, well, maybe he's dressed like a pirate again. Yeah, maybe, that, maybe Kevin, that's, that's the problem. Kevin from D. No, well, how's it a problem? He went glam rock and he's got eight points. Mm. I'm just saying, but he got, he got all the towel shots with the pirate. <laughs> but 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 I was saying that my point that you invalidated <laughs> is still, still valid. <laughs> Kevin from DC asked, "Did either of you get upset about the finish to Sonata Juice? The ref totally missed the ball when it came to the pulp friction finish, and I swear to God." The refs in general are literally turning me off of New Japan. You were completely free to say, Kevin, you're an idiot, but I mean it. It's literally the fact that they're better than Raw Underground. That's the only thing keeping me watching at times. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the officiating has – there's been some definitely some moments that have been frustrating uh, throughout this tournament. Um, honestly, I don't remember what he's talking about with the, the Pulp Friction finish. Bro. I literally don't remember either. And I know that that was on what the last night and on night 14. And I just watched that today. And that Sonata juice Robinson match was snoozing me. Like I, I kept like, like kind of falling asleep (laughs) and then it was hard. Night 14 was one of the weakest nights of the entire tournament so far. To be honest, it was rough. I mean, I remember there was a, there was a ton of like reversals into the, the pulp friction, into the skull end Right, I remember a lot of attempts at him trying to get the pulp friction, but I this makes it sound like maybe he got it and the referee missed it, or I don't know. I don't know what that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm remembering the back and forth, and I'm remembering him finally getting the skull in and hitting the moonsault. I will tell you when the match ended. I think the last few minutes I like was tuning out, and then suddenly the match was over, and I was like, "All right, it's not a one." <laughs> so, <laughs> so this might be the first time ever in three years that we've like literally been both of us have been like, "I don't know what happened in that match." <laughs> Seriously, yeah. that's not a good sign. Yeah, dude. Night fourteen, dude. I had a, a very hard time. Like paying attention on night fourteen, like I start like messing around my form, like crap, I gotta stop doing this and like really like like rewind, pay attention. But yeah, I, I don't remember what happened here in this match. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, hey, before we before we move on, the interesting thing here, Sonata, he's got a date with Tanahashi and a date with Evil, so two high profile matches. I think they're both in the main event slash semi. So, um, yeah. I mean, that's that that's something to look out for. Um, before we move on, we've got three, four guys tied for six points. Now, we're going to say right now that they are technically all eliminated. But as Jeremy kind of pointed out to me, there are hypothetical booking scenarios where guys with six points, if they won enough if they won the next two matches and the guys that are at 10 points lost the correct matches, we could hype. There are situations where we could end up with a multi-way 10 point tie. These are that, that is a possibility. I'm going to say right now, I really find it highly unlikely that they do any kind of 10 point tie for Tanahashi, Kenta or Yano or juice. 
But, you know, want to throw that out there before anyone likes like, well, actually, <laughs> Yano is not really <laughs> eliminated. They could end up multi-way tie, but uh, they could do that. I, I don't think they're doing it, but it's possible. Yeah, I think based off of the records, I think the the guy that has the best chance for a 10-way tie that would actually get through would be Kenta, I believe. Yeah, uh, that is a possibility. I, it would be bad if Yano ended up getting 10-way tie because he holds like tiebreakers over almost everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about Toriyano. Six points, three wins, four losses. He was defeated back-to-back-to-back to back to back this week by Goto, ZSJ, and then Kenta. Yeah, I think we we've talked about um, majority of these matches. You know, the the Goto match being real quick. Goto just quickly, you know, had no time for shenanigans. Pinned him real quick. Talked about the Saber match being one of you know the better Yano matches in this, in this tournament. Hilarious. And then there was the Kenta match, which I was not really a fan of this match. It, it seemed it, like it sucked. It seemed like there was a ton of mis- miscommunication. Like there's a lot of spots that were just kind of missing, and it's kind of all over the place. Uh, it sucked. Yeah, I was I was not a fan of it whatsoever. Yano's out. He's got two more matches. That's you know he had a good tournament, some really funny stuff, but that's about it. I, I don't have much to add. Uh, Dom Homie 101 asks us, "What will the situation of KOPW title be after the G1? Will we see any defenses, or will it quietly fade away?" Well, he just ate three losses here. These are three guys that could all potentially challenge for the KOPW, potentially a power struggle. But, uh, yeah, I think there will, there will be some kind of defense for the remainder of this year. But like we talked about previously, we could easily kind of see this thing fading away eventually, especially since it is a yearly thing. It's KOPW 2020 right now. I mean, this thing could get lost in the shuffled during dome season and be gone next year. Yeah. Yano's got Yoshihashi and Naito uh, coming up next. The interesting thing with Naito, that is again, a similar situation to the the one we discussed with Ibushi and uh, Yujiro. Um, He could play major spoiler there. Uh, And given the, the amount of high profile guys that Yano's beaten in this tournament, that's, not even really that crazy. Plus, considering the fact that Yano has upset some really major players in past tournaments, almost every year, annually. So there's an interesting thought there. When it comes to Yoshihashi, though, Yoshihashi is someone who has never held singles acclaim of any sort and is having a great tournament. Maybe them facing each other on the final night could be the start of some KOPW deal maybe i don't really care what happens with that to be honest at this point but i'm just throwing out scenarios so what do you think yoshiashi's stipulation would be that he would want to vote for um magic staff on a pole match (laughs) so you gotta climb (laughs) a pole to get staff hey could happen um so let's talk about kenta probably in my estimation, the most shocking of guys to have been eliminated so early, uh, Kento was defeated by Hiroshi Tanahashi on night 10. Then he was defeated by Sonata on night 12. And then he defeated Toriyano on night 14. So he's sitting at six points. He's pretty much done. Um, 
I don't know. I don't. This is this is this is one that's kind of crazy to me, actually. Yeah, out of this stretch, um, best match for him was night ten against the Ace. I uh, really enjoyed that matchup. Um, Good match, yeah. Yeah, great matchup there. Um, Kenta working over the knee the whole match and trying to get Tanahashi to tap out. And Tanahashi kind of had to fight and coming back. And like you mentioned previously, uh, went for a new strategy, hit the, the crossbody high fly flow. Thought about going for the regular high fly flow, but instead opted to go with the cloverleaf and got the submission victory. Um, so that was a kind of little something new there for Tanahashi and um, Kenta fall into that submission was very interesting there. Uh, like we mentioned, the Sonata match, nothing special there. The Yano match stunk. So yeah, the the, the, the Tanahashi match, the only you know really kind of standout for this week for Kenta. Yeah, I'd agree as far as match quality goes. Um, and we'll talk about Tanahashi here next. Uh, you know, the the thing is, is Kenta is fighting Mox, or I'm sorry, not Mox, is fighting Naito on the final night. And I I think a lot of people thought he was going to be someone who was alive um, going into the finals. There are still scenarios where maybe he could enter into some sort of multi-way tie. And may, and. You know, if that happens, maybe he beat. If he beats Naito on the final night, I don't know. Maybe he could finagle his way in with a multi-way tie and a tiebreaker into the even the finals. So you can't completely count Kenta out, but I thought Kenta had a much much better tournament last year than he's having this year. Um, I don't know if you know. I don't know if. This is even any, like, I can't really think of too many notable matches he's even really had in this tournament. I know people seem to go crazy for the Zack Sabre match. Uh, I just thought it was a good match, not anything that I'm going to, like, really recall after this is over. Um, The Tanahashi match, to me, was probably his best performance in the tournament. But uh, it it is interesting that they've kind of seemingly knocked him out so early. And maybe there's a chance he could hypothetically still come back. I just the interesting thing here is he still has that briefcase. He still has sort of like a future date set with potentially John Moxley. It looks like I'm I'm not sure where I'm not sure really what the plans and the slotting are when it comes to all this. Right, and clearly he's eaten some losses. Clearly, there's going to be probably at least one briefcase defense before the dome. Um, it looks like Juice Robinson was the kind of the program that we're setting up there. I mean, I could also see them doing a Kenta Tanahashi match and potentially even switching the briefcase to Tanahashi if you can get Moxon to do a Mox Tanahashi matchup at the Tokyo Dome. The one thing I would say, um, I'm not opposed to that idea with Juice, but Juice really hasn't even mentioned the briefcase. Like, no one's really talking about the briefcase at all. It's kind of just become this little prop that he brings out and he used it as a weapon recently and it broke and so now it's just this busted briefcase and they haven't even had the courtesy to replace it for him they at least last year replaced abushi's briefcase when it got messed up and dinged up and everything <laughs> he's walking up he's just walking around with this jacked i don't even know what that thing's made out of it's like wood it broke in half <laughs> but um i mean there is a chance that Kenta gets in to the final 
and it just feels like that would kind of suck if that's the way that they they go about doing it. I I'm not a big fan of um, a guy with four losses kind of just barely squeaking into the finals. He's already taken so many clean losses. I, I'm not a huge fan of that idea. But I'm not sure what role Kenta really plays here at the end. I mean, maybe just strictly spoiler for Naito. Does that mean he gets a title shot after the after the fact? I mean, that, I think that's one of the reasons that this block has been somewhat difficult to actually um, predict. And I think a lot, there probably are quite a few people who are pretty close to the booking of the B block, like uh, when it comes to prediction contests. But these last two nights are going to be really hard because I don't. I, there's just a lot of implications. I don't know what it means if Kenta wins his next two, and I don't know what it means if he eats another loss. Is he just like some geek, some mid card geek? You know, is that is that even a good look if you want to set up a a, a major match between him and a guy like John Moxley? I don't know. Yeah, probably not unless they're going to take the briefcase off of him and give it to somebody like a, a Tanahashi, but. Yeah, and 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 I and see that's why I don't like that sort of thing. It's like you do a big tournament, you give a guy an opportunity, and then the guy drops the opportunity. So it's like that's stupid sounding to me. It's like I don't think that anyone who ever has a title shot should ever be defending a title shot. Right, like you earned it, you should get your title shot. No one ever really loses them, anyways, in any promotion. I've never seen any that I can recall, except for. Literally, except for that time when Kennedy lost money in the bank. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And Edge took it from him. Yeah. But uh, so, before we move on, uh, uh, one thing we got to talk about with Kenta, though. Have you been seeing his like uh, his little relationship backstage with the, one of the cameramen? Yeah, he keeps telling him he's fat. Well, yeah. Well, there's one he's actually like friends with, though. And he's like... Who was that fat guy that was here? The other guy. I was like, I was worried about you. Apparently, he's like, he's like made friends with like one of the cameramen, and like it's like sat down to this whole little like handshake thing with him. It's it's been pretty funny. I really haven't noticed that. I was, I know that they meant they're always talking. Like Juice is always like talking to someone named Hazumi. Yeah, is that who it is? I don't know. But yeah, just thought that was funny. So if you get a chance, to check out the backstage promos. And it's been pretty funny. The whole tournament, pretty much, of his promos. But the next guy here, also with six points, the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. On night 10, we mentioned defeated Kenta. Night 12, he fell to evil. And then on night 14, he was pretty much eliminated by Hiroki Goto. G1 is hard to predict. Unpredictable tournament. Um, I think a lot of people took a look at the star power in this block and thought Tanahashi had, had a good shot at being someone who is alive going towards the, the you know, end of the tournament, something of that nature. Um, I think we kind of felt differently just given the fact that he's sort of still embroiled in this whole tag team thing and he's got Zach on the last day. Um, but yeah, I mean, here's the one thing. Hiroshi Tanahashi might have locked up his bid as being the B block MVP given the amount of high level performances he's he's had uh, in the tournament. Nowhere near his prime level, um, or even some of his you know turn. Like I don't think his tournament is as good this year as last year. But when you look at who he's worked with in the tournament, I think he's given most people close to their best matches. 
it is unfortunate he's knocked out, but uh, you know he's still got two big matches coming up in Sonata and ZSJ. So yeah, I've really enjoyed Tanahashi this whole tournament, and yeah, he would be my B block MVP right now. And like from this week, we mentioned that Kenta match uh, was a really great matchup there. Um, wasn't that big of a fan of the evil match that we talked about. I mean, it it was good for what it was. And Tanahashi worked really hard and just being the baby face that he is and, you know, having to fight off evil and Togo. Um, and then the Goto match was another pretty good matchup with that kind of surprise ending there. Goto hitting that, that GTR kind of out of nowhere towards the end there uh, to pin Tanahashi. So overall, Tanahashi having a real good tournament, like you mentioned, definitely not, you know, height you know, of his prime Tanahashi G1 kind of run, but still um, a very good tournament enough to be the, the B block MVP. And it's going to be interesting to see kind of what happens with him here these last two nights. Kevin from DC asked, can you guys talk about how Tanahashi can turn heel and still retain the love of the folks? This isn't really a question. I just want to hear you guys gush about how Tanahashi is the best in the world at what he does. There are definitely matches where he's supposed to play heel, and he does spectacularly. It just cracks me up sometimes when he does so on a whim. And uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I he doesn't in, in modern times he doesn't go full heel, but there's definitely a dickish side to Hiroshi Tanahashi, and when that comes out, it's pretty awesome. Um, I'm definitely a big fan of it. Um, I, I'm of the opinion that if Tanahashi ever went full heel, full, full-blown heel, you know, I'm talking NWO Hogan level heel, <laughs> I think he could get the people to boo him Yeah, if, I mean, if he really wanted to. I mean, Tanahashi's a, a master class worker. Uh, yeah, I think he if, he if he wanted to be full heel, he definitely could. I mean, I don't think they will at this point. I don't even think it makes sense, but... Like you mentioned, we have seen in, in matches where he kind of gets that kind of dickish persona and a little bit cocky and a little bit arrogant. And there have been some times where when he does that, he gets a slight booze and the, the, the crowd gets behind whoever he's facing. Um, but, yeah, he's just absolutely incredible at what he does. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So, you know, I'm a Tanahashi guy, so. <laughs> he pointed um, at you. Yeah, bro, I bring that up all the time. <laughs> uh, Juice Robinson sitting at six points, three wins, four losses. Uh, he was defeated by Evil, Tetsuya Naito, and then Sonata. So he went into this week on a pretty big high, and you know he's at a pretty pretty low point right now. Um, all he had to do was lock up one or two of these matches, and he would have definitely been in the running for maybe being at the top of the block or, you know, one of the outside guys, but now he's effectively done. I do feel bad because juice in the, um, promos keeps talking about how he wants to at least get 10 points. And that is his goal in this tournament is to finish with the most points he's ever finished with. And, um, that is still possible. He needs to win the next two matches he has. Uh, but, it might be difficult. He's got Zack Sabre Jr. on the 16th, and then on the 18th, he's got Goto. So they're winnable matches. Um, I'm kind of rooting for the guy. I hope he gets those 10 points. But um, 
what what can I really say? Uh, Juice has been good. He's but I don't think he. I think he's been far from the best guy in the tournament and far from looking his best. Uh, he's been good at being figuring out ways to get the crowd involved and worked in in this COVID era, and it's probably. I mean, it was probably very difficult to go from having no matches being thrust straight into the G one the way he has. So I mean, it's. I would call this G1 a success for him, for sure. But, man, I don't know. Uh, Rich said something to us the other week. He said, ever since that match with Mox at Super Juniors last year, it's like something broke inside this guy. He's not the same. <laughs> yeah, he, he's just not really gotten back on the ball since that uh, that first big loss to Mox there. Um, and, yeah, like, like you mentioned, I feel like, you know, he's been having a decent tournament, obviously – Nothing's really been completely blow away for him. Um, the, from this week, I would say probably the Naito match was uh, the best match that he had this uh, this past week. But yeah, Juice is just a guy that you know he's kind of having. He's kind of you know, like a solid, you know, good hand guy, and been having some good little matches, like you mentioned, really getting the crowd into the matches. Very energetic um, promos have been you know wild and hilarious backstage and. It's one of the things, yeah, you know, he was injured before his tournament, didn't even get a chance to wrestle on strong and just kind of jumping in cold in this tournament. Has a new wacky Blues Brothers look. Uh, yeah, it's kind of been this kind of a weird tournament for him. And, yeah, but like you, you know, we're we're, we're big fans of Juice. Um, you know, been really, really nice to us anytime we've talked to him. And, um, yeah, I'm hoping that he does get the, the 10 points there. Agreed. And then finally... We got Yoshihashi sitting at two points, one win, six losses. He is totally eliminated. Um, he was defeated by Naito on night 10, Goto on night 12, and then ZSJ on night 14. Um, we did discuss all three of these matches, but I got to tell you, I thought all were very good. Um, I think Yoshihashi is still giving Tanahashi a run for his money. For MVP of the block, which is crazy because the guy has only got two points. Um, I I just think that he has looked so good. Out of these matches, I thought the Goto match in particular kind of stands out to me as being very good. Uh, the Naito match, I mean, all these were good, man. Like Yoshihashi has just the, – the, the funny thing with Yoshihashi is generally speaking, in a G1, he usually has one or two good standout performances and then a lot of just forgettable matches for the most part. And in this tournament, even in the matches that didn't get super high ratings, he always, I think that they, I think they've got something for him after this because yes, he only got two points. So I'm not saying like he's being like, they're, I'm not being like, yo, they're strapping the rocket to him or anything like that, but they've never given him the opportunity to look so good in matches like they structured these matches to make him look really really good and i i think they probably noticed how the fans bought into him when he won that title at uh you know on new japan road when he won the uh six mans how people kind of got a little bit invested and they've kind of just been pushing him as this like lovable babyface underdog who like has all the tools but can't quite get it done and it's been paying off. I mean, he's been getting over with me. I think a lot of the fan base and um, 
not quite Hanma-esque, but similar, maybe there is a little push for Yoshihashi once this thing's over. Yeah, definitely possible. Like you, Yoshihashi's also won me over in this tournament. Just really um, some very good, great performances in this tournament. Definitely kind of performing above the typical Yoshihashi level. Um, like you mentioned, all three of these matches from this past week were really good. Um, probably the standard, like you mentioned, would be that Hiroki Goto match from Night 12. And again, the whole story there, Yoshihashi was really fired up and like slapping Goto and like getting in his face and being super aggressive and, you know, with them being stable mates and, you know, current uh, tag partners, tag champions, the Never Six Man titles, um, you know, it almost was kind of pushed over the edge in the typical, like, stable mate match you would see with Chaos. And, like, Yoshihashi was just really taking it to Goto and really kind of get trying to fire Goto up, which kind of backfired for him because Goto did fire up and it eventually did put him away. But, yeah, just some really solid performances here. Like you mentioned, um, you know, if Tanahashi wasn't in this block, you know, Yoshihashi would be the, the MVP, but I think Tanahashi just edged him out a little bit more with some a uh, few other great performances. But yeah, Yoshihashi looking really good here. And who knows, they're, they're setting up some never six-man programs for him after this thing, or maybe he gets somehow finds a, a never shot down the road somehow. But yeah, looking really good in this tournament. Well, two things that are on the horizon for him. He's got a match with Kenta coming up. Kenta's holding that briefcase. There could be some stakes there. And then after that, he's got Yano, who is a stablemate, but Yano has is the provisional KOPW champion. That seems like actually a possible like booking scenario, especially given the lighthearted nature <laughs> of the KOPW. So something to think about. But uh, that's going to do it for our um, coverage of, of the past six nights and sort of ranking all these guys. So... I know we got a lot of questions here. Yeah, got some G1 questions here. We can run through these so we can get to the previews for night 15 through 19. Uh, so first here from at Chris underscore Ertz on Twitter. Can you guys somehow make it so the Osaka crowd are eligible to win a category in your year-end awards? They made an amazing night 13, truly unforgettable, and were also great on nights 1 and 2. You actually forget the crowd's restrictions are in place. Hope Ryogoku can bring it. Uh, totally agree with your sentiments. I think we have too many categories as is for the tournament <laughs> or for our year-end awards. But, uh, yeah, I agree. Osaka's been great. Maybe we can create um, a lineal, provisional crowd <laughs> of the year award. <laughs> Oscar Rooney asked us, he said, who is your MVP so far and why is it Ishii? It's Ishii because, like everything we mentioned so far, he's been giving everybody their best matches. Most part in the A block, just been absolutely killing it. Uh, man's incredible. It is Ishii, but there's some guys that are not far off. Uh, yeah, Shingo, Shingo's on his trail. I think Shingo's on his trail. I think Osprey's on his trail. I think Ibushi's on his trail. I think. Suzuki's on his trail, so it's not as locked up as you think it might be. Especially, we got things not over. We got three more nights, to, you know, for A block competitors. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. We won't get the, the definitive MVP until that that last night's done. Viking Pain asked, "I wrote this on R squared circle, but let me run it by you guys. With Tanahashi out and the B block being between Naito, Sonata, and Evil, 
I don't think Evil or Jay are making it to the finals since it looks like one or both of them are going to be screwing the other one over. Sonata has a difficult path to the finals with Tanahashi and Evil coming up. And I think he's going to get spoiled along the way while Osprey and Okada would need Ibushi to lose at least one match for them to win the A block. If Ibushi wins out, which he has a relatively easy path, um, both get eliminated due to tiebreakers. Ibushi holds over both. Honestly, the more I think about it, the more I think the finals is going to be between Naito and Ibushi. It's the 30th G1, and I think they're setting up something big that has never been done before, and that's finally pulling the trigger on putting the champ in the finals. On the opposite end is Ibushi, the winner of last year's G1, trying to win back-to-back a feat that has been that hasn't been done since Tenzon in 03 and 04. They can market and sell the hell out of that matchup. Any thoughts? Yeah, that's a very interesting scenario you presented there, Viking Pain. And again, like we mentioned earlier, it's it's 2020, and they might want to kind of create a moment of something that's unexpected and to kind of have it on both ends on having a guy who would be his third year in the finals and then trying to win it back-to-back. And then having also going against the double champion and having the champion attempting to win it for the first time as well. Uh, I mean, that that could be very intriguing. I definitely think that would get people buzzing, um, especially after the series of Naito and Ibushi matches that we had last year and how incredible those uh, matches would be. Uh, but I don't know. I don't I don't think Ibushi's getting to the finals, though. You know, um, if you were going to do, let's say you were going to do a Naito win, okay? Just Let's just throw it out there. Let's say Naito's winning the G1. Is there anybody else from the A block right now that's eligible? So taking away the guys that are not eligible, so like no Shingo, obviously. But between Okada, Jay White, Osprey, and Ibushi, who would you rather see him fight in the finals? And who would you rather and, – and, and let's assume he's going to beat them too because I I don't think you beat um, Naito in the G1 finals if you're trying to market for a Wrestle Kingdom match. So I'm going to assume if he goes to the finals, he's winning. Is there a better alternative? Um, I mean, I guess you could go Okada, do another Naito-Okada match, have Naito kind of beat him again. Um, I disagree. I think that's a mistake. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't do Osprey because that's a fresh matchup, and you, you shouldn't. If you're going to do that, that should be safe for the dome. I somewhat agree with that. The only reason I disagree is maybe you don't want to do maybe maybe like you don't see Osprey on that level, and this is his big step up. You know, mm-hmm. so like you don't see it as blowing blowing off like say a. Uh, Wrestle Kingdom match, similar to like what they did last year. They saved Naito. I'm sorry, they saved uh, Jay and Ibushi for the G1 because they didn't see it as being like Dome Caliber. If now, if you think it's Dome Caliber, definitely don't do it. But if you think it's, you know, proper for a G1 final, which I think it might be, then maybe you do do Naito Osprey. But my thinking here. I think he brings up a lot of great points. You've got the idea of someone 
trying to win the title back to back hasn't happened in a long time. It's a pretty, pretty big deal. And then the other thing is you got the champion trying to win the tournament as the champion. So two guys vying for history. They've been kept away for, from each other for a little bit, but it is a match that we're familiar with. So it's not like they're blowing off a match that they couldn't, you know, they're not going to do that match anywhere else. Right. I mean, yeah, it makes total sense. You're not going to do that at the Dome, so why not do it for a G1 final? And it would be fitting. I'm not saying they're going to do this, but when he threw that scenario out there, I'm like, you know what? That's not a bad idea. And then let's say Abushi loses, because I think Abushi would have to lose, especially with what seems to be on the um, horizon for him afterwards. It could really play into his story that he wasn't able to beat Naito afterwards. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He can go into this this program with Tanahashi. You know, he was trying to be a god, but he failed. So he needs to find an alternative path. You know, to get back to where he was trying to get to. Um, I, this is not my booking scenario. I don't think this is exactly what they're doing, but. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to it, especially if hypothetically they chose to put Naito in the final. I think that this is the best opponent for him. I don't want to see him for business and personal reasons fight the other three guys. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it makes the most sense. I think it would be a great matchup. I guess we'll have to see if that's that's the way they're going. I think that's the best possible opponent that he could fight in on that card in that stage right now. I think that that'd be a great thing. So uh, next question here from Rambo and Slam Pig says Saturday's A Block show was the best top to bottom New Japan show since the January Dome shows. Agree or disagree? Uh, possibly. Um, it's definitely up there. The other option would be Summer Struggle uh, in Jingu. Yeah, I mean, I really love that A Block. That that night thirteen show, I definitely think it's gonna be. It's a, definitely a show of the year um, contender for the awards. Uh, it, it's a little bit hard to compare these these shows to a to a Wrestle Kingdom because obviously those are a lot longer shows, and these are like two hour, two and a half hour shows. Um, but man, for a two and a half hour wrestling show, night thirteen was just incredible. Since we're on the subject, I'm in the Discord right now, and MJ does PR quote tweeted or quoted uh, something that I talked about from that same um, show. I talked about Okada and uh, Shingo. If you guys aren't in the Discord server, you should probably join. But um, I commented and said that that match was good, bordering on great, but not a match of the year contender or a match of the tournament, like many are saying. And then he responded and said he agrees, and he thinks Okada's opening pace is just a lot slower than your typical Shingo match, which I agree with. So won't throw it out there. <laughs> yes. I, I, I have seen a few people that kind of had your uh, take and kind of rating on it, but yeah, still, still seeing a lot of people that are in my camp too. Yeah. Uh, fuck y'all camp. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness though. Um, yeah. Awesome show. Definitely a show that you're contender for, for new Japan. So totally agree. Um, Dom Homie 101 asked us, he said, is it me or would you guys rather see a Suzuki Civil War than a Bullet Club Civil War? I mean, uh, I, I mean, I really don't want to see a Civil War at all. Like, I feel like with Suzuki Goon, like, if you're going to have Taichi take over, just have him take over, they throw Suzuki out and they, they all just kind of follow Taichi. 
I don't. I, I don't think a civil war kind of. Bri- I don't think. I don't see like them splitting sides there. Uh, and and let's, for argument's sake, let's say that any sort of split of any sort is what he's talking about. You know, it doesn't have to be. It could be any booking scenario that results in dissension within the ranks. You know, would you rather see a bullet club issue like the one we're seeing, or would you rather see a Suzuki Goon one? And I think from a match standpoint, I'd rather see Suzuki Goon. Yeah, I mean, you can get Saber and Suzuki, Saber and Tai Chi, um, Tai Chi and Suzuki. You know what's funny in all this is like, you know who's left out in the cold with this bullet club stuff? El Phantasmo. Mm, the headbanger. And, you know, he's, like, the one guy who, like, maybe could have actually had some sort of, like, true claim. Like, you know, people have talked so often about him, like, fitting that mold of, like, being similar to, like, Prince Devitt. And, you know, he's tried to use all the other leaders' moves, you know, so on so many different occasions. Like, <laughs> I could have totally seen him and Jay have an issue down the line. You know, mm-hmm. but instead it's evil. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Tell me that doesn't sound like some um some WWE universe mode shit. Like you fast forward it, it's like evil is the leader of the bullet club. What? <laughs> evil is the double champion. What? <laughs> How? <laughs> he's, at, he's at like seventy uh, overall. <laughs> oh no, yeah. I, I think that a Suzuki gun civil war would be or whatever you want to call it, like yeah, I, I think I'd be more invested and interested in that. But the good thing here is Bullet Club's going to be like locked up on the sideline all year or for however long this thing goes. So that's good. Yeah, keep him out of the tile picture. <laughs> keep him out of the tile picture. Uh, he also asked, is it me or does it feel like we're heading toward a lot of interfaction warfare with each faction in the near future? Uh, it does kind of feel that way a little bit. Uh, even chaos. I don't really feel like anything's been brewing in chaos. Really? I mean, they had all those six man tag matches. Oh, that's true. Yeah. They don't really feel like a unified front right now. I mean, um, well, I feel like they've never really felt like a unified front in the last few years, honestly, last few years, there was a time, but I wouldn't be like surprised if certain people like, because of the fact that they're also kind of interlinked with Hantai, that also kind of adds credence to what he's saying because they feel like a super group that's ready to kind of break up a little bit. Like I think that New Japan is ripe and due for a lot of shakeups in a lot of the ranks of these different factions for sure. Definitely. I mean, I would love to see a new kind of group split out of chaos and them do something different, but I haven't really, besides like the six man stuff, I guess I really haven't, the end of the dissension there. It's not that there's signs of dissension from a standpoint of storyline. You know, I'm not like saying that we should be reading into it. Everything's a sign. Although there have been some signs. I think the Suzuki and uh, Tai Chi match is very interesting. But I think it has more to do with where the talent is at. We got a lot of aging guys. We got a lot of guys on the rise. And you got a lot of like shaking up that is going to need to happen in the next couple of years due to due to that, because there's certain people that need to be moved out and certain people that need to be moved in. And the factions have a lot to do with that. I think there will be a lot of changes in the near future. Yeah. I hope, I hope they are. Cause it's been a while and we need, we need some kind of freshness there in the faction side. 
Last question he asked, he said, is it time for character changes for guys like Juice, Okada, and Osprey in a kayfabe kind of way? And I think that that kind of leans into what we were just discussing with the fact that there are people on the rise. And, you know, with the fact that this is an aging roster, you've seen a lot of the matches that we're seeing right now many times in the past. Um, and there's certain people that, like evil, need a, a fresh coat of paint to kind of take a step into the next role and be freshened up a bit. And I think Okada even is one of those people as well. Like, you know, just look at his past year for sure. Um, I think he's right. Yeah. I feel like Osprey is kind of starting to kind of change up from the previous years. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people could really um, do well to have some character changes just across the board he named um funnily enough he named exclusively gaijin workers but i think that there's some domestic stars too that could i mean i've been we've been hearing people say for years that like yoshihashi needs some freshening up sonata probably needs some freshening up he's tried a couple times but i don't think it's been with any real success um yeah i don't know yeah then a question here from stale burger bun would you rather fight everyone in A block or everyone in B block on the same day in a continuous gauntlet? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I would like lose the first fight and then have to go to the hospital. I wouldn't like be able to fight anyone else the same day. Um I mean, I, I'm going B block. I mean, I'm not trying to fight Suzuki, Ishii, Ibushi. Listen, Shingo. I'm gonna, just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go A block because here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm gonna lose no matter what. Okay. <laughs> but at least in the A block, I'm with guys that I know can at least carry me to passable matches and protect me. So I'm gonna go A block because I'm gonna I'm gonna risk it all for the greatness. For, <laughs> I'm gonna risk it all for these snowflakes, you know. <laughs> all right, so now we're gonna move into our previews for the last few nights here of the G1 Climax 30. So let's start here at night 15, October 13th. We're back in the A block. Uh, we got Jeff Cobb versus Will Osprey. Kick things off. Before we do that, let me ask you real quick. Um, I know we don't have a listing of all the C block matches that are going to be happening, but um, who do you think's winning C block? Um, I I think Yota Suji is going to end up winning. I'm gonna. I am gonna go Yuya Yamura. Okay. Uh, I was going to say Suji, but then you said Suji. And I really don't know who's winning, so just to keep it fresh, I'm going to go Yumora. Okay. Yeah, but I think uh, the, the interesting thing there, those two ties are going to probably be the determining factor as to what ends up happening. So, Plus, we don't really know what's happening on night 19 when it comes to C-Block. Like, They'll probably do something like this. They'll probably have two guys end up tied and then have them like fight it out for the finals on night 19 most likely. Yeah. That could possibly happen. 
if they're even going to acknowledge this quote unquote C block, <laughs> yeah. you know, they might, they might all end up tied. And then the next night end up in a six man tag. Yeah. Against like Nagata, Kojima. And yeah. Hanma. <laughs> um, but my pixie Mora. So, uh, yeah, let's start with night 15. Um, big thing here. Um, every match is going to have major implications for, you know, the final standing. So, uh, we got to put a little bit more thought into this one. Um, what are we thinking here? So I think Will Ospreay is going to defeat Jeff Cobb here. I'm going to go. I'm going to ride with you. Um, will Ospreay will defeat Jeff Cobb. That will put Will Ospreay at 12 points. Then we got the Tokyo Pimps, Yujiro Takahashi versus Kota Ibushi, Golden Star. I'm I'm going golden star here to also get to 12 points. I will, I'm agreeing with you, so they will be tied. Then we got dangerous T Tai Chi versus Dragon Shingo Takagi. Uh, what both of these guys are what six? Yeah, both yeah. I'm I'm just gonna go Shingo. It, uh, tai Chi could win. I wouldn't be surprised by that, but I'm just gonna I'll take Shingo. Yeah, I'm going to go Shingo because I, I like to see Shingo get a little bit of a higher point total here. So get Shingo up to uh, eight points here. Um, fourth match of the night, we got Suzuki versus Jay White. Suzuki looking to play spoiler here. Uh, I think I'm going to go Jay White and keep things tied up. Yeah, I'm also yeah, going to go Jay getting the win here. He's got Gato out there. Um, he's going to somehow sneak his way into defeating Suzuki. Heck, maybe even like that the rare DQ kind of win here. Um and Jay yeah Jay gets the win here ties up with Osprey and Ibushi still, and then the final match of the night Tomohiro Ishii versus Kazushika Okada. Again, gonna go with Okada get all the four top guys all tied up. Um, the final night last block here. Now, okay, let's think about this for a second though. Um, Okada has losses to Jay White and Kota Ibushi. So if he were to tie with either of them on the final night, they could they would win that tiebreaker over him. Um, yeah, this is interesting. We could end up in like a weird sort of like round robin situation on the final night, depending on how this all plays out. Um, I've got Okada winning as well, just to kind of keep things simple. I I was sort of thinking like you know if Okada lost but then beat Osprey, you know they tie but uh, that seems a little convoluted. I'm just gonna go Okada, but this this night is really pivotal for those four guys. I don't know how it's all gonna actually work out. Yeah, and I almost feel I know we, we kind of went the safe way of picking all those guys, but there there potentially could be one of these being an upset here. If Cobb beat Will Osprey. And then Osprey beat Okada on the final night. They'd be tied. Osprey would get the tiebreaker, and he did beat Jay White. Yeah, he did. But he lost to, to Ibushi, Ibushi, right? Yeah. But we think Ibushi's losing on that final night anyway. Well, they'd still end up tied, right? They kind of all need the. They. I mean, it, it goes without saying, but they really all need the win because of the round robin nature of like who's beat who, you know, like will has some tiebreakers. Abushi has some tiebreakers. Jay has some tiebreakers. Okada has no tiebreakers. 
because he lost to Jay White and Abushi in the past. So it looks like Okada's going through, obviously, you know, just given where he's placed in, on the final night. But, uh, you know, if he ends up tying with Jay or Abushi, he loses the block or, or with Will. Um, yeah, it's, this one's going to be interesting how it plays out. But I think for, for clarity's sake, I think we're both, we're, we're just going to go straight. All four guys are going in tied, correct? Yes. That'll, that'll take <sighs> us to night 16, October 14th. But before we do that, so I think Okada Osprey is the match you have to look at, right? For night 18? For the A block. For night 17, the finals? Yeah. Yeah. So if they all go in tied, then Okada needs Jay White and Ibushi to both lose, and he needs to beat Will for himself to win. Correct. But Will doesn't need that. If Will were to beat Okada, uh, well, it would be great for him if both those guys lost. But if he were to tie with Jay White, he wins. And if he ties with Ibushi, Ibushi actually wins. Right. Yeah. A lot of scenarios. A lot of scenarios. Okay. Let's uh, talk about night 16. So first term match, we got Kenta versus Yoshihashi. Uh, I think Kenta's going to get the win there. Uh. Yeah, that makes sense. Kenta will pick up the two points. And then uh, ZSJ versus Juice. I think I'm going Juice in this one. I'm going Juice as well. Um, you know, Zach the tag guy. And, you know, depending, you know, tag is coming up. That could set up Finn Juice versus Dangerous Techers. Um, so let's go Juice here. Uh, I mean, Zach winning could be. Hmm. Okay, you know, the only reason I was really saying Juice was because technically I would normally say ZSJ, but I want to see Juice get his 10 points. However, I think Zach is going to get knocked out on the final night by Tanahashi, so I'm going to retract that. I actually think Zach's going to win here and uh, be up to 10 points. Okay, I'm going to stick with Juice then. After that, we got Yano and Naito. Man, very interesting here. Yano's the spoiler. He's gotten a lot of upset wins in this tournament. He could slow down Naito's momentum here. Uh, man. I mean, it really just depends on what booking scenario you see playing out, you know? Um, that's This is where the rubbers meet in the road, and I think this is one of the all-time hardest to predict g1s based on the booking they've done a master class here really uh it's this nowhere near as formulaic as previous years um i'm gonna take the safe bet i'm gonna, I'm gonna go with naito beating i'm gonna yano. go i'm gonna go with naito too but i think a yano upset is completely plausible so that takes us to the semi-main which is going to be hiroki goto versus evil uh well um with Naito winning, I'm going with, with Evil winning as well to keep those guys tied. Hmm. This is so tough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll go Evil as well, 
But I mean, I actually could see a scenario where Yano and Goto upset both those guys and bring them to even scores with the other people in the block, you know? Right. But I'll go evil for, for I'll ride with you. I don't know. And then for the main event, the ace of Tanahashi versus Sonata. Gonna go with Sonata so he has a chance to uh, stay alive. Sonata has to win. If Sonata loses, he's like done. Right. Um, night 17, A block final. We have Taichi versus Kota Ibushi. I think we're in agreement here that Taichi is going to defeat Ibushi and knock him out of the tournament. Yeah, I will. I'll agree with that. Although, I think Ibushi would be a good finalist for Naito if that's what they do. But yeah, I agree. Um, after that, we got Ujiro and Jeff Cobb. I think I'm just going to go Jeff Cobb. Yeah, safe bet. Go with Cobb there. <laughs> that's another thing we got wrong. We like guaranteed that Ujiro is going to get points in this tournament. We were totally wrong about that, looks like. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okada versus Will Ospreay, which I, I'm thinking it's going to be the main event of the night, personally. Right, and so I'll see right now the, the matches aren't listed in order. They'll be listed in order due to with the point totals and stuff like that. So right now it's kind of listed in a random order. But, yeah, come after night 15, we'll know the, the order of this well, block final. Let's talk about the other two matches first, and then we'll talk about that one last because I think that's the real main event. So Suzuki and Takagi... I think I think Shingo's gonna beat uh, Minoru Suzuki and earn himself a a, a a rematch for the Never Title. I agree. Yeah, I think Power Struggle will see Suzuki Shingo rematch. And then uh, you got Ishii and Jay White. Um, so let's just let's assume, okay, Abushi has been knocked out. He he's sitting at twelve points. So and Jay's at twelve, Okada's at twelve, Will's at twelve. So if Jay wins, then he will be tied with whoever wins the tournament. Meaning he needs Okada to win. He would need Okada to win, and then he would go through. If Will were to win, they would be tied. Will gets the tiebreaker. Jay loses. And if Jay loses to Ishii, he's pretty much out anyways, no matter what. So what do we – are we thinking that Jay is going to win or do we think that um, Ishii is going to upset him? I'm leaning towards Ishii upsetting him and, and knocking him out. I am too, and I also think because of the Bull Club storyline, there could be some Bull Club shenanigans. Um, I, the other scenarios are plausible, but uh, they've been really playing up this bullet club thing. I think it could be a big factor. Right. So then that would come down to the main event of Okada and Will Ospreay. Uh, winner take all situation. Winner takes the block. You know what? I'm just going to go with what I sort of in my gut thought was a possibility. I'm just going to I'm going to go with Will Ospreay taking the block. I I think it's an outside chance. I don't think it's the most likely scenario. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to have Will beat Okada. He's never beaten Okada. They've wrestled, what, four times now? Yeah, something like that. Three or, three or four times now, yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe three. Maybe this is the fourth match. But they've been building to him 
getting a big, big win for a while now. I think this is his chance. I think he's going to beat Okada. Um, so, yeah, I'm going Will. I'm going to go with Kazuchika Okada. I feel like you mentioned earlier, similarly to Tanahashi, when he won the G1 in 2018, kind of roared back towards the end here. So I feel like we're going to get like Okada kind of finally back to form here. And I think this will be the closest that Will will get to beating him, but Okada will just do enough to put him out. Yeah, uh, totally possible. I, I don't feel confident about any of these predictions whatsoever. There's just even... Um, it does kind of suck because normally with the way the tournament's structured, we usually end up recording like in the past couple of years, we've recorded the show where there's like just the last three nights, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's been easier to kind of like predict, but because we got five nights, there's still so much that's up in the air before between now and the time we actually record. I mean, by next week, the finals will have happened. So, right. um, but yeah, I'm going Osprey. You're going Okada. So let's talk about the B Block final night 18. And just to remind our listeners, if any predictions we get wrong on on the air, they are EPO entertainment purposes only. <laughs> but if we get them correct, then we are just brilliant. <laughs> so we've got uh, Tanahashi against Zack Saber Jr. Um, I'm taking Tanahashi to knock out Zack. I'm taking Tanahashi just to kind of. Fuel of Flames in, you know, Tanahashi getting the win over the over the Tekker while Ibushi lost to the other Tekker. Uh, we've got Goto against Juice Robinson. Didn't that match already happen or no? That has not happened in this tournament. Okay. Well, um, I would like to see Juice beat Goto. Um, those two guys, long-storied history. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll take Juice. Yeah, I'm also going to go with Juice as well. Like you mentioned, history there. They typically have pretty good matches together. And I want to see Juice get the 10 points, so let's let's go with Juice here. After that, we got Yano and Yoshihashi. I'm just going to go Yoshihashi. I'm going to go Yoshihashi as well. So the last two very important matches, we got Kenta and Tetsuya Naito. Um, and Sonata versus Evil, which will be the determining matches for the B Block. Yeah, and this is this is a tough one here. Um, I I think that Kenta is going to. I don't. I'm gonna go. It's a safe booking here. I think Kenta is gonna spoil Naito, knock him out of the tournament. And then I think the finals are going to come down to Sonata and Evil. And one of those okay. guys is going in the finals. You had Kenta defeat Yoshihashi on night 16. So he would be, if he beats Naito, he ends up with 10 points. Naito would have 12 points at this point. Okay. Um, Evil has 12 points, so Sonata has 10 points, basically. Yeah, and he would have to beat Evil to win. He would tie with Naito and Evil, and then he would have a tie break tie over, over both men and go into the finals. Interesting, interesting. So I think you're booking Sonata and Okada as your final, pretty much, right? Yeah. Okay. Which I'm not really excited about, but I just feel like that's the way they're going. 
No, I mean, that that makes a lot of sense for some of the same reasons why I think Naito against Ibushi makes sense. I think Sonata and Okada makes a lot of sense. Ultimately, I think the big thing you got to ask yourself is what are we doing at Dome? You know? And for me, I don't feel confident about any of these guys against Naito at the Dome. I don't know what's happening at the Dome. So because of that, I think I'm going to do something that we've just, we don't normally get. And I think I'm going to have Naito beat Kenta. <sighs> it doesn't make sense either. Yeah, because if Naito beats Kenta and whether Sonata or Evil wins, both men have the tiebreakers over him. Mm. So that means Evil would have to lose to... To Goto. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um... You know what? I'm just gonna say fuck it. <laughs> um, let's go Sonata and Osprey. Kind of like what I'd said earlier. It, you know, I'd kind of made that prediction earlier. I'm just gonna stick to it. There's not a lot of final scenarios that I'm very excited about. Right, and it's possible because you know we've seen so many great matches in the A, so many guys are stacked in the A block that would have been great for finals. Right. So I mean, okay, you got let's let's just play let's just play before before we go to the finals. Let's talk about this. Sure, there are scenarios where Kenta, ZSJ, and Goto could get through. I'm gonna kind of nullify those and say. Eh. None of those are realistically even happening. The the real three scenarios you got in B block are Evil, Naito, and Sonata. And then from the A block, you got your big four. What final in a perfect world would you like to see? What makes like what is the most exciting final for you? Period. You know, all booking is you know, all point totals aside and all that. Let's see. I think the the most exciting final you could probably do. Honestly, it, it probably is Abushi Naito. Yeah, I like I like that final a lot. I kind of am rooting for that final. Like I would I would love for us to get it. You know. Yeah, I think I think Osprey Naito could be interesting. Here's the thing. Last year, I was vehemently opposed to Jay White and Ibushi, and it ended up being my match of the year for New Japan. That's how much I love the match. So maybe we get something that we're not really in favor of, like an evil versus Okada or something like that, you know? And it ends up being fantastic. You know, it's pot or even Sonata. You know, we've talked about Sonata rising to the occasion. Maybe we get Sonata Okada or Sonata. Um, Abushi or Sonata, you know. Yeah, um, I think Sonata Abushi, Sonata Abushi could be a lot of fun. I think Sonata Osprey could be a lot of fun. Um, I could see them, you know, wanting Okada to get his win back over Evil from Dominion, having both those guys go into the finals. 
the hard part, and then Jay White's still in the mix there. The hard part for me is just, it's not hard for me to book a final. It's hard for me to imagine who wins the final and what that means for the Dome and Naito. And people are throwing around these scenarios where maybe they do double defenses, you know, and I've even heard people, uh, Kevin Kelly on commentary has sort of talked about that, um, on one of the nights, which makes me feel like maybe something like that could actually happen. You know, Mm -hmm. conversely, the more traditional route would be, this would be just very traditional. Okada wins. (laughs) We're getting the rematch. He has to fight evil on the way there. He beats evil. You know, to put him in the rearview mirror, and then we end up with him and Okada, which would be like the most by the numbers booking scenario that they could possibly do. Yeah, and I, is that what you think is happening? Yeah, I think it's going to be Okada Naito. I just think that is the safest main event to do in this pandemic era. We don't even know if they're going to be able to run the dome, and if they can, it's probably not going to be. 100% capacity So go with something At that point you know it's going to fill up Whatever capacity you can It's a little bit a different perspective Because Naito's coming as a champion now Okada's coming in as a challenger um, they're, They could have a great match It's a safe main event I think that's kind of the safe bet here Okay I'm just going to go a little bit off the wall here Sonata Is going to be Evil, like we discussed, that will give him the tiebreaker over the two guys he ties with from LIJ, meaning he goes to the final, and it will be him and Osprey. And that will be the G1 final this year. Some two guys who have never made it to the G1 finals against each other. Well, I mean, I'd be down with that final as well. I think that would probably end up being um, a really great matchup. The only thing that throws me off about it is Sonata's performance in this G1 so far. But how many times have we seen Sonata mailed in in tournaments and then when the big moment comes? Turns it like, up. Yeah, he turns it up. So it's totally possible that that's what's happening. Like, um, And who knows? Maybe that match could play into a potential chaos LIJ Bullet Club Shaking up of the rosters sort of situation You know I don't know Yeah, um, and, and I think Another reason why I'm kind of leaning towards Evil and Jay White losing I think on Night 19 one of the filler matches I think there's going to be some Kind of bullet club match Where they're, oh, yeah. where they're on the same Team like some kind of 10 man or 6 or uh, 12 man tag where What if it's just a straight up Tag. Yeah, they can do that too. Yeah, Jay just and, the two of them. Yeah, Jay and Evil versus uh, Golden Aces or something. Bro, I would I would buy into that so hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now the last thing we just have to discuss here is the final night. We don't know what the final night's going to look like, but you have your final. You got Okada and Sonata. I've got mine. It's Osprey and Sonata. Who's winning the G one this year? So based off my bracket, um, like I said, I'm going with the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, win the G1, and set off to face Naito again, coming in a little bit different position, coming in as a challenger, and uh, going to face Naito at WrestleMania 15. 
I am going to go with Osprey just because they like to do protected matches in the dome. And the same argument that people made this year about how if you were going to take a risk on a guy like Evil, now is a good time to do it, given you know the, the chances that there might not be as much of a capacity. I think if you're going to give the push to Osprey, maybe now is a good time to potentially go that way. You know, um, you're in the dome, you can't go full capacity and he's definitely a popular guy, but he's not been proven at that big heavyweight drawing level in the dome. But I think that because it's a protected match, they've never done it before. Kind of reminiscent of Omega's first title shot against Okada. I think that this would have some of those elements to it. Big time money-making match. I think that's the way you go. I think Naito and Osprey is a, a great match. And you know what? I Spoiler alert, I think Naito would retain his title. Yeah. That'd be a solid guy for Naito to get a win over. So that's it. I think that – and so, I mean, what are you thinking? You think Okada's going to go through and get the get this belt back? <laughs> I don't know because I feel like that could be part of the story. Like he still doesn't – maybe not – Fully 100% like Raymaker Okada, and he's still, you know, sticking with the money clip, and it's not good enough to put Naito out, and Naito ends up overcoming and beating Okada again in the dome and retaining the title to really kind of solidify that title reign. Yeah. Yeah, this is tough, man. This is tough. Um, Well, I mean, the good news, we've got the four guys in the A block locked down and the three guys in the B block. So it's kind of, we kind of have some expectation of what, what's going to be happening a week from now. But I ultimately, I'm, I just feel a little uneasy. I don't even know what to expect. And that's a good thing. It's, this is really great booking. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be very exciting to see what the actual final scenario ends up being. I just hope, I hope the match delivers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap up the G1 coverage this week. Real quick, we've got to talk about NJPW Strong. So we had the finale of the Lions Bright Crown Tour. Uh, show opened up. We had Mysterioso, Blake Christian, and Logan Regal defeating Fred Rosser, Adrian Quest, and Barrett Brown. Um, then we had the Lions Bright Crown Finals. Clark Connors, my pick to win, did, did defeat Danny Limelight with a Boston Crab to win the Lions Bright Crown uh, tournament and he received a trophy and then in the final we had the, the Josh Smith special here elimination match with David Finley, Jeff Cobb Rocky Romero, TJP ACH and Carl Fredericks defeating the Bullet Club team of Kenta, Jay White Chase Owens, Hikaleo and Gorillas of Destiny with uh, David Finley last eliminating Kenta so potentially a Kenta Day Finley briefcase match down the line if Kenta returns to the U.S. Nice. And then um, next week, Strong will start the Never Tour. So they are advertising this as uh, dream matches with junior heavyweights versus heavyweights uh, for this upcoming Never Tour. We're going to see a lot of um, inner weight class matches coming up on NJPW Strong. 
open weight matches that embody the never say die concept of the never title. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got Rocky Romero against Jay White next week, as well as tag team action, Flip Gordon and Brody King taking on G O D A C H against Carl Fredericks. And then the main event is Fred Rosser against Clark Connors. And that is NJPW. Oh, you know what? I apologize. I, I gave it all to you backwards. So it's going to be completely reversed. The main event is Rocky and Jay White. The opener is Clark and Fred. <laughs> gotcha. I thought that was kind of weird that uh, yeah, Jay wouldn't be in the main event of that show. Disregard. Uh, it's going to be weird next week when he's getting ready to, uh, you know, be in the um, G1 final. But, you know, like a night or two before that, he's fighting Rocky Romero in America. It's going to be weird. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> then we got some few uh, last news items here. So last week, New Japan oh, geez. <laughs> announced that the best of the Super Juniors 27 and the World Tag League 2020 tournaments will be taking place at the same time. Both will start on November 15th at the Dolphins Arena in Aichi. The finals of both tournaments taking place in Nippon Budokan on December 11th. Um, the company said due to the result of the COVID-19 pandemic, they will limit the number of wrestlers participating in the tournaments. Furthermore, the World Tag League and Best Super Junior tournaments will alternate on each night. The only nights where both tournaments will be on the same show will be the opening night, November 15th, and the final tur- tournament matches prior to the finals, which will be December 6th. Some questions here. Uh, first from Dom Hobie 101. Thoughts on the Tag League and Best Super Juniors taking place at the same time? Any predictions of participants or both tournaments? Well, a um, couple thoughts. It'll be interesting to see the format. You know, um, based on the number of dates, it seems like they'll most likely either be doing a single block 10-man slash 10-team uh, format or they'll be doing two blocks of six, meaning 12 combatants each or a total. Um, sounds right to you, right? Yeah. I was looking at it today. I feel like it's going to end up being two single blocks of 10. Two single blocks of 10? Yeah, so a single block of 10 for the tags and then single block of 10 for the uh, oh, gotcha. Super Junior. I was also thinking there is a possibility they could do one being broken up. Like maybe the super juniors is broken up and then maybe the tag league is a single block. Mm. That also seems possible. It just, I, I'm not sure. Um, the, the truth here is I'm glad we're getting a super juniors, but I'm not glad that we're getting it at the same time as world tag league. Uh, I guess beggars can't be choosers, but, uh, that's personally speaking, it's gonna be really hard around that time of the year to be covering so much wrestling. <laughs> I know we always do cover the World Tag League, but it's not that. I don't know. It's just something we do. It's not like that serious. But like, damn, dude, we're gonna have to. I mean, right after G one, usually we get. You know, G one ends in August. World Tag League is in November. We usually get like a two, two and a half month break, but we're getting like less than a one month break, and we're gonna be right back at it and. They've never done this format, so. Yeah, it's definitely going to be difficult to keep up with, especially, you know, like you mentioned, during that the holiday time there, during Thanksgiving, building up into Christmas time. Um, but, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get it done. But definitely looking forward to Super Juniors. Um, 
not sure. Interesting who, to see who's in it. Right. I mean, we don't know who they're going to bring over. I'm hoping that they could bring over like an, an ACH, uh, TJP uh, from Strong would be cool. Um, you know, Dragon Lead um, has been posting teasers about Phantasmo. Uh, yeah, Phantasmo. So hopefully we can get some of these top Gaijin guys in for the tournament. Oh, Orange Cassidy. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so next question here from Grunty Dodds. He says, uh, in a normal year, the window of el- eligibility for the Keeping It Strong Style year in awards would run between November 16, 2019 to November 15, 2020. Do you foresee the changing so the best of Super Juniors will be counted in the voting or will we hopefully have an abundance of great junior matches to consider in the 2021 awards <laughs> season? Yeah, we can confirm that uh, our traditional voting uh, period is going to be adhered to. We were sort of waiting to see what the last tour of the year would be, um, which traditionally is World Tag League. It usually starts on like November 15th or 16th, and that's exactly what's happening here. So we will be ending our voting eligibility or our uh, y- you know voting period for the year as soon as World Tag League slash. Um, Super Juniors starts, meaning provided they have another Super Juniors in the middle of the year next year, there's going to be a lot of junior matches to consider for voting period next year because we're probably going to have two Super Juniors on the same voting period. Yep, so tons of junior matches of the years, junior of the years will probably uh, be generated in that scenario. Yeah, and that is one thing. A lot of people don't always take into consideration the fact that like our voting period starts in November, but we are pretty meticulous about uh, our record keeping. Now, granted, it usually doesn't matter too much because, again, it is usually World Tag League, and you don't usually get a lot of like you know match of the year caliber matches coming out of that tournament. But this next year, twenty twenty one, will be different because. We probably will get some high-end level matches coming out of um, Super Juniors, so that is going to play into the voting period next year. It's going to be very different, pretty exciting. Yep, and yeah, very soon, yeah, we'll have out the voting for that. So stay tuned to that. We'll hand out the links to that, and you guys can vote like you always do, and we'll uh, get our year in awards kicking off there. Yeah. Um, question from Viking Pain: Do you guys know or think any more foreigners will be able to make it back for Best Super Junior slash World Tag League Tour? Both tournaments rely a lot on foreign talent, and Dragon Lee tweeted a picture of himself in a Best of the Super Junior shirt recently. Not to mention, God and the Good Brothers would inject a lot of life back into the tag. Yeah, I feel like with them, you know, bringing back guys like Kenta, JY, Cobb for G1, I think GOD is definitely a team they would try to grab for World Tag. I mean, I feel like you almost have to grab GOD. I could see them bringing Finley over to get Finn Juice connected. Um, the Good Brothers is going to be interesting. I know they're in a impact tag title match coming up at Bound for Glory, a four-way um, if they don't win that match, I think there might be a good chance of them going over for Tag League. If they do win, I don't think they'll be going over. So we'll see what happens there. Considering the fact that there is a potential Bullet Club Civil War storyline and the connection that uh, the Good Brothers have there, that might be very interesting. But 
I'm not sure if the most appropriate way to utilize them is you bring them for World Tag League and start them off that way, or if it, you do it more in a shocking, surprising manner at, say, like Wrestle Kingdom or something, or, you know, or like New Year's Dash or something like that. Um, especially considering how much they're probably going to have to pay those guys. I don't know if the Good Brothers are even super keen on working a World Tag League. I, I, I think most high-end tag teams or, you know, star tag teams that make a lot of money really aren't trying to do all that. I know the Young Bucks weren't. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so I think it's um, – I, I would probably guess Good Brothers are not going to work tag league, personally speaking. Yeah, so – We'll see what happens there. But, you know, you mentioned the Young Bucks, and speaking of the Young Bucks, there was... Oh, but uh, before we talk about that, as far as, like, Super Junior Foreigners, you know, there are guys. Amazing Red, like you mentioned, ACH. TJP. uh, TJP. um, And then, obviously, the two big names that I think, if possible, need to be there are ELP and Dragon Lee, just because... Of, oh, and Robbie Eagles. Mm, that's right, yeah, Eagles. But I don't know the ins and outs of this, the uh, situations with being able to bring people into the country and everything like that. So I don't know who will or won't be able to uh, you know, attend. Yeah, I think the thing that can give us some hope here is that they, they, they brought Cobb in. Cobb does not have uh, residency in Japan like guys like Jay White and Osprey. Uh, right. So that gives some hope that they could bring in some guys um, that don't live in Japan to do the tournament. Correct. Um, so next thing we got to talk about here. So last week on Dynamite, we had lots of NJPW references that led to the Forbidden Door conversation being reopened. We had Tanahashi uh, congratulating Jericho on 30 years. We had... Um, both Moxley and Archer mentioning the Wrestle Kingdom match, and there there was actual footage or you know still pictures from their Texas Death match. Um, there was a reference to Gato in the Jericho match. There was a mention of a King Kong knee drop when somebody did that. So uh, fans have been taking all of these references and being overly excited uh, about the Forbidden Door opening. And then following that, we had several AEW wrestlers um, kind of trolling on Twitter the following day. We had uh, Orange Cassidy asking when Best of Super Junior is. We had um, Evil Uno asking when the World Tag League is. Cole Cabana tweeted out a picture of him from the Tag League last year. Um, best friends. Yeah, best friends. So um, it's a lot, of, a lot of people kind of, you know, teasing this, this forbidden door. Um, was, there, was there somebody on the New Japan side that put out a tweet that was interesting? Uh, I think there was ELP who was like, I guess had a great workout that was like dynamite or something like that. Uh, that's right. That is who it was. Um, yeah, interesting stuff. So, I mean, the more interesting thing here is Twitter, the IWC, uh, fandom just blew up anywhere you were on social media. People speculating dream matches, dream scenarios, how a working relationship might or might not look, whether this is real, whether it's not real, you know, um, people freaking out. I mean, it was like pandemonium for like a day or two. Yeah. And also, I think we're kind of on the same opinion that we've been on it since this, you know, forbidden door talk has happened. Would it be, it's not, it's not happening. It's probably not <laughs> happening. Would it be cool? Yes. 
Um, does it need to happen? No. Does New Japan need AEW? No. Does AEW need New Japan? No. Um, I think it's smart. I think some of the things that are smart, I think uh, Tony Khan is a very, very – Tony. Con- okay, let's be clear here. Tony Khan is a mark, okay, like you and me, like a super mark, okay? Mark money. Me- meaning he knows what we like and what would – grab our attention and i think he's a very brilliant businessman and if i was him and i had tanahashi on my show and harold may all these reports about harold may being the one who was keeping the door closed you know reports of him leaving the company all happened to circulate around the same time i'd be like dude mention new japan a fuck ton of times on the show let's just like and they never like were like we're working with them but they like had references and now people are like oh my god the door is open (laughs) (laughs) and you know what that does for his business it increases his business because now he's his brand's getting talked about his stars are getting mentioned in the same breath as guys from new japan who are already established it it, you know it's controversial controversy creates cash i think it's super smart on his side also all these AEW stars who are putting the tweets out there they're working all of you you're all getting worked on a super meta level meaning the people who are like super into this door opening you're all like looking like idiots because you're buying into it like hook line and sinker and then the the pro elitists who are so against it that they're like they're like that meme with the crying face you know like like they look like crybabies like this would never happen and here's why yada 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 <laughs> and it's like dude you're getting worked into a frenzy too and it's a it's a it's a super meta work both spectrums of fandom are getting played by the AEW um you know you know uh workers with their tweets and it's gaining more notoriety for them and for AEW and for their brand it's super smart yeah, but but until we see like, until we see like, Pac and Hiromu in the ring together, like I'm not gonna buy it. <laughs> right, it's not, I'm not gonna buy it until it's not it doesn't happen until it happens. <laughs> Am I gonna mark out if something like that happens? Absolutely. Heck yeah. But I, I I really don't think it's happening, and I don't really think it's that beneficial for New Japan. Well, I will say it. I mean, and we've seen with the Google Trends, like Tanahashi had a huge spike after being on TNT. So I think there is some benefit to having New Japan guys on TNT and having, you know, that, that American audience searching for them. But I don't know how that plays into them trying to expand into America and do their own thing. The only the only scenario that makes sense that is beneficial, we saw what doing a cross promotion like Kenny and Jericho at Wrestle Kingdom was able to do for their business. So if you want to do a short-term talent trades for big shows like that and have big stars work matches against one another, that would make all the sense in the world. But the problem is they already have access to a lot of those guys already. Right. And it's and it hasn't really changed business too much in a lot of cases. You know? Right. Um uh, you would you would need to lean into the AEW versus New Japan aspect of it, like the Forbidden Door. You'd have to market that, and I think that could actually, because that's sort of one of the things that really helped Kenny and Jericho was the idea that 
this has never happened before and it'll never happen again. Right. So, yeah, yeah. so we'll see what happens. We'll keep you updated if we hear anything. But, yeah, that's where it's at for right now. Um, A note from uh, Uncle Dave in the Observer Newsletter this week about the foreign talent that are currently in Japan. It says that Jeff Cobb, Will Ospreay, Gabriel Kidd, Zack Sabre Jr., Juice Robinson, and Kenta and Jay White are in most cases staying until the Tokyo Dome show. Said some will go home in December for a short period after Budokan and then come back just before Christmas to quarantine if they are on the Dome show. The Monday free match of the week is last year's G1 Finals, which played Jay White versus the Golden Star Kota Ibushi. So that is free to watch on YouTube uh, and JPW World. And then last thing in the news here, the current IWGP US champion, John Moxley, was in action this weekend on Josh Barnett's Bloodsport. He defeated the Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson. I didn't love that match. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to, but I didn't. A uh, couple of real quick questions. We just run through them real quick. Uh, just a little bear. one asked us, uh, not necessarily New Japan related, but what are some of your favorite venues you've seen wrestling in from your wrestling travels? Uh, I would say one of my favorites had to be uh, Madison Square Garden last year. We got the opportunity to go to that uh, for the uh, G1 Supercard. That was a great venue to be in. That arena was great. The Allstate Arena in Chicago, really awesome. Um, I mean, even just here locally, the uh, what's it called? Um, Tampa Bay Times Forum or whatever it's called. St. Pete uh, Times Forum. Yeah, Emily Arena. Emily Arena. I mean, we watch wrestling at the Orpheum in Ybor City, which Dude, is like a little. I miss the Orpheum. Yeah, we love watching wrestling at the Orpheum. That's one. Minerig um, Hall. Yeah, Minreg Hall is where we watch NXT. Um, the what was the uh, arena in Dallas that we watched G one oh, at? The um, the is that American American Airline? American that? Airline Center. Yeah, so yeah, that was yeah, that was a dope venue. Yeah, we've been a few places. Uh, Barclay Center. Oh yeah, for for NXT Takeover. Yeah, that was great. Also, uh, Rambo and Slam Pig asked us. Do you guys generally prefer heel versus heel or face versus face matches? I go for the all heel ones more myself. And simple simple answer for me, I greatly prefer face versus face matches. Usually you're going to get, you know, your classic baby face, you know, all white meat baby face technical masterpiece style matches, you know. Um, look at Brett versus Bulldog as an example. Right, I think there's definitely historically more great face versus face matches, and that's what I prefer to. Um, you get these just two classic guys that are kind of going at it, and sometimes in the match you get one guy that kind of ends up being more heelish, um, just because he's frustrated and really wants to win. Kind of like we mentioned with like a Tanahashi situation, but yeah, I, I prefer face versus face and kind of get this epic kind of match between two guys that just want to prove that they're the best, and you have a, a clean, just epic match. Fun fact, I do believe New Japan has the greatest heel versus heel match in history in Kenny Omega against Naito from the G1 2017, 2018, something like that. Mm, yeah, that's a great matchup. Uh, Dom Homie 101 asks us, do you guys think that a Nexus-like angle with a group of young lions would work in New Japan? Um, I, I do, actually. 
Yeah, it's just, it depends on like how long they're there. Like I feel like maybe if like this current crop that's been here for a while, um, and then you do it. But I guess it really depends, yeah. depends on how if it's it a, depends on who it was. But if you had like Toa Hanari lead a group of guys and they were all ready, but none of them went on excursion, um, that could be something interesting that could work. But I, I think I have faith in the workers and I have faith in the booking to where I think it could get over if they wanted to try something like that. Uh, Lions Roar 91 asked us, do you think there will be a junior title match at Power Struggle? If so, who is a possible challenger? Um, I don't think there will be a junior title match at Power Struggle just because Best of Juniors will be coming up right after that. And there's no there's, – let's say do something on – uh, the final is, G1 to I guess it's Road 2 shows also so There's a possibility Yeah I mean they could set something up in, on the G1 finals Or the Road 2 show but Well I they kind of already did set something up uh, During the past The most recent Road 2 shows During the junior tag team title tournament Desperado could really be in line For a title shot against Hiromu Yeah I guess I was just thinking They might have they saved that that matchup for the, the Super Junior tournament, but yeah, I mean, if they want to have a junior title match, it that would that would make the most sense based off their last interactions. I agree with you. I don't think it's happening there, but uh, if they wanted to, it's a possibility. And then, final question from Maza: Name your current top five New Japan theme songs. You know, I gotta be honest with you. I'm not really gonna do that one because we're running short on time. And uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that when we have some more time. Yeah, I definitely gotta uh, think through that one. Um, so last thing here before we go, recommended match of the week. So last week you uh, had us watching the the first G1 finals with uh, Chono versus Muto. Um, and this was just an awesome matchup. This was a um, traditional New Japan main event style. Um, and this was just epic. You know, Chono was out here doing wild dives, uh, multiple pile drivers through the match, pile driving uh, Muto on the outside. Uh uh, actually, Muto's the one actually Paul drive, ends up Paul driving Chono on, on the cement after uh, Chono had been Paul driving Muto. Uh, the crowd was firmly behind Chono in this match. Um, Muto's doing gotch Paul drivers and um, dragon suplex for a great near fall. Got the foot to the ropes. Muto missed a big moonsault. He had Chono doing the STF. Uh, both men working octopus stretches. Um, there was a cool spot where. Um, like Muto jumped over this like top rope uh, drop kick that Chono tried. Um, there was a James Boyd drop kick spot, and uh, <laughs> uh, towards the end, Chono ends up winning with a huge big power bomb. Crowd goes wild, throwing their seats um, all over the place. Just an epic match, epic feeling, and uh, you know, I can imagine at that time a great way to kind of kick off this um, the G one, the, the naming of the G one climax and, and the lineage of that tournament. Yeah, it's it's epic. You did a really great job recapping. If you guys haven't seen it, uh, go out your way and see it. And uh, it looks like you've got a banger recommended for me this week. Yes, I do. So the recommended match of the week this week to get us ready for Big Tom versus Okada this week. It is Kazuchika Okada versus Tomohiro Ishii from the G1 Climax 26. Yeah, G1 Climax 26, which happened on uh, August 6, 2016. So it was night 13 of the G1 Climax 26. So Okada versus Ichi got five stars from Uncle Dave. Very highly rated. Five stars from me too. Very highly rated on cage matches in like the 9.5, somewhere in that range. So, Have you seen this? 
I have not seen this match. This this was happening before I really started kind of watching full time. Uh, so I have not seen this match. I have heard amazing things about this matchup. Um, so pick that. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited to watch it again. I I don't think I've seen it since 2016, but uh, it's awesome. Well, and that's going to wrap things up for this week on Keeping It Strong Style. Next, we'll be back to review nights 15 through 19 of the G1 Climax 30. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a monthly donation or one-time donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media on Twitter. The show is at KI Strong Style. As well as at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy. That's just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at Social Suplex.com. You can also find us on Discord. The link for our Discord channel will be in the show description of this episode. You can check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Floyd. We have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. We have the Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati. We have the Great Match Generator with Danny and Beast Mike. We have 8-Bit Suplex with Josh number two and Saturday and Sandy. And then also we have all things elite with Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Side, the ace of podcasts. Let's go, Billy Goat. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.